think I'm a replicant, don't you? Look. It's me with my mother. Yeah? Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window. You were gonna play doctor. He showed you his. And when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? Huh? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. And one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched. And? And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. Okay. Bad joke. I made a bad joke. You're not a replicant. Go home. Okay? No, really. I'm sorry. Go home. Welcome to this episode of the Movie Clinic Podcast. I am David, and this is my wife, Sherry. And on this episode, we'll be covering the film Blade Runner from 1982. And I guess I'm going to start out here. I'll pass it over to Sherry, and we'll kind of get her history with this film. What, what's your uh, history as far as a viewing of this? I had never seen it. You had never seen it? No, I think I was four when it came out. Yeah. Just the two viewings for yeah. the podcast. Had you ever heard of it outside of me doting on about it anyway? Uh-huh. I think that I'd heard of it, but not really concentrated on it much. Yeah. I don't even think I probably knew that Harrison Ford was in it. Oh, wow. Really? I remember the name, but I didn't know anything about it. So basically, you went into this movie pretty blind. Other than when we discussed it on our introduction podcast. Oh, yeah. That's Um, right. I did. You talked about it. It was your number one on there, and that's the only kind of description I've ever 
kind of gotten of it. Oh, okay. So that was mainly probably your first time ever, ever really hearing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Wow. Okay, well, <laughs> I just wasn't sure. Um, but I guess that does make sense. You were four at the time it came yeah. out. So, yeah, it probably was definitely I'll under your radar. Play with my strawberry shortcake and yeah. Care Bears. And... Uh, exactly. <laughs> Care Bears and other stairs and stuff. My history, I'm not going to go too deep here, but this was a movie I seen opening weekend. I cannot remember. I was, I think I was with my uncle, but I can't remember which one. And he just kind of took me to see the movie. He said, David, you want to go see a movie? And of course, at that age, I'm not sure. I, I didn't care what it was. Just, I want to go. And he told me we're going to go see uh, uh, something called Blade Runner. And he told me, you know, has a guy played Han Solo. And mm-hmm. I love Star Wars, so I'm like, okay, I'm even more now, mm-hmm. you know. But I hadn't really heard anything about this movie at the time. So I went into it cold. I still remember sitting down watching the movie. That first shot of the cityscape, I was just like, whoa. And it just blew me away. I kind of was that way too when I saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched the movie, and I was all in, basically, at that 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 point. And I was watching the movie. And like I said, it's a very dense movie. And it can be kind of hard to follow, I think, for some. But I kind of got the basic gist of it. And I really enjoyed the movie a great deal, to put it mildly. And I'll never forget walking out of theater and talking to my uncle and saying, you know, I, I really, really like that movie. I asked him, what did you think about it? He said, oh, I hated it. And I was just like, I was just dumbfounded i just didn't know what to say because even then i felt like i had seen something very important to me i just couldn't put all the pieces of it together i don't know it's just like i said it's a movie i just watched so many times over the years between cable tv i had on videotape dvd and blu-ray and everything and it's just like i said it's one of my favorite it's my favorite movie i'm gonna just lay that out right there so my review of this at the end don't sit there and expect me to be slinging arrows at it because I'm mm-hmm. not going to do it. I mean, I just wanted to kind of give my brief history. I could go on and on about how many times I've seen this movie and various things, but there's no point in that. And uh, I was very nervous about doing this podcast. I actually put it off because originally I was going to do it uh, back in um, July or no, May, I mean. But I was just like, no, I'm a little too nervous. I want to wait till the last minute to do this. Oh, you're going to be fine. Yeah, because this is like the 40th anniversary of this movie this year. I just was like, okay, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to be able to do it for the 40th. So I'm like, okay, I'll just do it in November, and here we go. Does that make you feel old? No, considering I'm only 20. <laughs> yeah, the math don't work out there, but nobody don't think about that. But yeah, that's kind of my history with this one. And uh, like I said, I'll I'll gush more about it at the end when we're doing our review. But uh, like I said, I guess uh, that wraps it up on me with that. And what we'll do is we'll drop in the trailer here and then we will come back with the cast and the crew. when I take tests. Take tests. I've got four skin jobs walking the street, walking the street. They're either a benefit or a hazard. They're a benefit, it's not my problem. Not my problem. I'm Rachel. 
Deckard. Have you ever retired a human by mistake? By mistake, by mistake. No. I need the old Blade Runner. Blade Runner. This is a bad one. Bad one. How can it not know what it is? If only you could see what I've seen, what I've seen, what I've seen. More human than human is our motto. Disappear. Would you come after me? I owe you but somebody would. Too bad she won't live. I can see you. Time to die. Will you help us? What seems to be the problem? I want more life. An experiment. Nothing more. Nothing more. More, more human than human is our motto. Okay, um, cast and crew on Blade Runner. I guess first off we got Ridley Scott. I guess any film fan knows who Ridley Scott is. But he's uh, directed such films as Alien, Thelma and Louise, uh, Legend, uh, Gladiator, Prometheus, and Alien Covenant, which are two films that a lot of people hate, but I really like. So figure particularly alien covenant i mean have you i guess you've seen some of his movies right yeah i've seen alien i've seen legend legend you... legend's really good yeah, yeah. i'm gonna do it on podcast uh, yeah yeah a uh, gladiator the one right. with russell crowe i didn't see that that one's really good you like Braveheart, so i feel safe to say you would like that one too uh thelma and louise i feel safe to say oh, you've seen one of my favorites yeah so yeah he, he, he's a director who's kind of been all over the map as far as films that he's made, but he, he has a very kind of strong and good eye for science fiction mm. and things like that. I didn't that. realize he was from the United Kingdom. He has a brother, right? Yeah, his brother, Tony Scott. Tony Scott. Who directed Top Gun, but his brother um, committed suicide. Wow, he's got a lot coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's still working. He's like in his 80s and he's still working. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's... He's one of these guys I feel safe to say he ain't going to stop until that he drops dead. Well, he's he's not exactly young. He's no, born no. in 37. Yeah, like I said, he's a, I think he's around in his 80s now. So, But he's still Cadillacing along. So, But yeah, as like I said, I, I do have probably some other films from Ridley Scott we'll cover at some point. Yeah, Legend, I'm all about that one if you decide you want to do that one on oh, the yeah. podcast. Because oh, yeah. I really like that movie too. And now we head into the actual cast of the film, and uh, we start out with a returning actor to the podcast, Harrison Ford, who plays uh, Deckard. And he's been in such films, of course, as Star Wars and the, uh, I guess, the initial Star Wars trilogy, the Indiana Jones films, of course. You know, uh, we covered Raiders on, I think it was a year ago, it was uh, last November. Correct. And yeah, Sherry didn't have kind words for that. Go, go back to that film to uh, to hear Sherry's thoughts on it. And uh, he was in the film Witness, 
uh, regarding Henry and uh, Mosquito Coast and The Fugitive. And he appeared in the Blade Runner sequel, Blade Runner 2049, you know, which uh, highly recommended here as well for me. Is there any films of his that you wanted to mention that you really liked that maybe I didn't get to? Um, regarding Henry? Yeah. I like regarding Henry. Yeah. This is different than anything he really had done. Yeah, at that time, yeah. I mean, that's Mosquito Coast is the same way. That one there was not his usual kind of movie. I was him in a River Phoenix, and that's like a really good movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I mean, he's good in everything. So, you know, even if the movie ain't that great, he's still good in it. But, and then next we move on to Rutger Hauer as uh, Roy Batty. And now he's been in such films as Flesh and Blood, The Hitcher, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, Split Second, and Batman Begins. He's just, he's like one of my favorites. In any movie I see him in, he's always good. I always think of Hitcher. The Hitcher? When I see him. That or Flesh and Blood. Yeah, those are two great movies. Those are two. Yeah. yeah. I, I love Flesh and Blood. That was one I remember watching on HBO a lot when I was a kid. And The Hitcher also. The Hitcher actually frightened me when I was a kid just by how brutal that movie got. But uh, Rutger Hauer, he sadly passed away in 2019. And I don't think I ever really heard what he died from. I just remember hearing he passed away. I'm not sure if it was ever released how, you know, how he finally passed away. But uh, next we have uh, Sean Young as Rachel. And she's been in such films as Stripes, uh, Dune, Wall Street, Firebirds, and No Way Out. And you were mentioning the day you remember her most from... uh, Ace Ventura, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So strangely, that's probably one of her most well-known roles, probably outside of this, and probably Stripes. <laughs> uh, and she actually even appeared briefly in uh, Blade Runner 2049, but is, um, I think it was like a CGI kind of computer-generated, I think, kind of thing. But yeah, she actually appeared in that briefly as well. But next we have Daryl Hannah as a uh, Pris. And she's been in such films as Splash, Final Terror, Legal Eagles, Wall Street, and Grumpy Old Man. Which, when I seen that, I totally forgot she was in that movie. Yeah, I think she was in that and the sequel, too. Yeah, I totally forgot she was in that. But she's one, she's still working today, I think. Uh, I just seen her in a film not too long ago. And I remember she was in the Kill Bill films, the those two movies. She was in those mm-hmm. as well. But. She's married to Neil Young. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think she was like maybe around 19 or 20 at the time she did this movie. So she was very young in this. Well, she was born in 60. 60. So So she she was was 22. Yeah, when this came out. So she was filming. Probably. Probably 20, 21. Yeah. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, next we have Edward James Almos as Gaff. And he's been in such films as Stand and Deliver. He was in uh, the movie Selena, uh, Wolfen, and American Me. But probably a lot of people most know him as a Lieutenant Castillo on Miami Vice for the five years it was on and on the reboot of Battlestar Galactica as Amidala on there. That's probably where most people know him. But he's in the liver. Yeah, I know. He's almost unrecognizable in that movie uh-huh. in a way. Cause mm-hmm. I, uh, it's like nerdy looking. Yeah, yeah. And God, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I remember watching that. I think probably last time I seen that was in high school. I mean, he's always good in everything as well. I mean, he's like one of these good kind of character actors. He's in Mayans right now, which 
I watched the first season. Yeah. And then I quit watching it, but it's still on. I, it comes on FX, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I didn't. I've never heard any more about it. I assume yes, we probably right, probably as of right now. It's, I think it's still going. And the next we have, uh, I always try to figure out how to pronounce it, how they pronounce it. Brian or Byron James. I want to say it's Brian James. And he plays Leon. And he's been in such films as 48 Hours, uh, Southern Comfort, Tango and Cash, The Horror Show, and Nemesis. I mean, he's one of these character actors, particularly in the 80s. You probably see him in many movies in the 80s into the 90s. He died in 99, and he, ha- at that time, had 174 credits. Yes. Yeah. So I, he was I was, busy. I was about to mention that, yeah, because he, he accumulated a lot of credits in his uh, time working. But like I said, he popped up in anything, even if it was a little small role or something like that. You know, he worked a lot. Next, we go to Joanna Cassidy as Zora. And she's been in such films as uh, Under Fire, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the Package and Club Paradise. And as far as I know, she's still working now. I think I see her kind of pop up in things here and there. Uh, she seemed like she kind of leaned more toward TV than movies. Yeah. But she was on um, NCIS New Orleans until mm-hmm. 21. I think they canceled that one. And then Leverage Redemption in 21. Yeah, so I said, I know every, uh, every now and again I'll turn on the TV and I'll see her pop up on there, you know. Mm-hmm. And she, amazingly, she still looks pretty similar to what she did in this movie. I mean, she's aged pretty well considering, you know, as like I said, I mean, this movie's 40 years old, so I mean, she still looks you know, pretty close to the way she did in this film. And the last one I have here is Joe Turkle, who plays uh, Tyrell. And he's been in such films as pa- Pass of Glory, The Sand Pebbles, Blackjack, and The Shining. And uh, he passed away in 2022. So he passed away, I believe, earlier this year, if my memory was correct. Anybody who didn't realize he was the bartender in The Shining. Yeah. You know, for the fans uh, that haven't seen him or totally forgot he was in that movie, that's who he plays in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anybody you want to throw out as far as cast? Um, William Sanderson. He was on Sebastian. Yeah, J.F. Sebastian. Yeah, he yes. was in, what did you say, Newhart? Yeah, he was in Newhart. He was one of the Daryls. Yeah, one of the Daryls. <laughs> one of the brother Daryl. He's got that voice. As soon as I heard him, I was thinking, is that that guy from Newhart? Yeah. But I couldn't remember the name of the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember him. He's been in, he's been in a lot of things, too. He's got a lot of credits. I remember he mainly played a lot of villain roles there at yeah. one time, which is weird considering how he kind of plays very humble well, uh-huh. you know, but yeah, he's he's been good in everything I've seen. I think he was in uh, that TV show Deadwood recently uh, in recent years, and I thought he was very good in that too. But uh, And then James Hong. James Hong, yeah, David Lopan. Yeah, yes. Lopan uh, yeah. from... Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, I got his credits are unreal. Let's see. Wow, 454. Yeah. Is that like one of the most ever? I think that we've covered anyway, yeah. He's still working. He's still working now. I think he's... Where was he born? He's pretty old, isn't he? He's... he's, 29. He's he's a... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's in his 90s. I knew that for a fact. I think this year he just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this year. And he's still going. He's still Cadillacing along. I mean, he's been in so many movies. Kung, Kung Fu Panda, he's doing like the voice mm-hmm. of Mr. Ping. He's got four in post production. And I know 
he's went to like some of these comic book conventions and there was one point here it was a few years ago he was actually dressed up as david lopan in the whole <laughs> gear and you could have your picture taken with him in that costume did you know about this gremlin's secret of the mogwa yeah that's an animated 2022 prequel show. he's in that playing the grandpa yeah it's a prequel show to gremlins yeah so i said i mean i knew his credits had to be very high I, we had to mention Lopan. Oh, yes. Oh, I understand. His part in it's small, but it's significant in this movie. It kind of leads you to other things in the movie. That's all I got. Okay. All right. Well, I guess now we will jump into the uh, plot synopsis on this film. And before I start here, I want to kind of mention the version we watched was the theatrical cut from 1982. Because I kind of want to share you to see the one that I first seen. Because, of course, anybody that knows Blade Runner knows there's multiple cuts of this film. There's at least five of them on the Blu-ray set. But I thought this one would be the good one to pick and cover, you know, since it was my first one, of course. I was very curious just to hear Sherry's reaction to this one. Yeah, we had to break my Blade Runner, Sherry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, now I'll kind of go into a little bit, maybe at the end of the podcast, you know, kind of tell some of the differences from the other versions. But for the most part, we're just going to focus on the theatrical cut from 82. You can get off into weeds pretty quick on this movie, and I want to kind of try to keep it focused mm-hmm. and centered on this. Now, with that out of the way, we'll go ahead and jump in. Okay, we have opening credits here with the Van- Vangela score, this kind of probably my favorite film score ever i mean i just love the music in this film it's just this very eerie kind of melancholy yeah this movie's like a smorgasbord of different styles yeah yeah well definitely blended Mm -hmm. after credits we have this opening crawl that goes up the screen and it tells you about replicates it calls them robots, but I'm going to have to kind of dispute something about that. They're not robots. I never considered them robots. Robots would be metal. That's what I always assumed, too. But Mechanical. I, they're like clones. Yeah, it's robots, but they're genetic. Uh, they were, I guess, genetically engineered. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know. That just that never quite worked for me, but I was mm-hmm. just like, okay, you know, I'll go with it. You find out that replicates are work working off-world yeah they're like slave labor yes you find out that they're after a kind of uprising replicates were deemed to be illegal on earth and on earth they have these special units called blade runners used to track down any replicates Mm -hmm. that come to earth they pretty much have a bounty on their head yeah when you drop in on earth you're pretty much going to be hunted i think it's just like they call it retirement of a replicate they don't mm-hmm. call it killing them. They just retire them, which yeah. is an interesting way of saying you're no. going to shoot them and kill them. <laughs> but that's really kind of what this opening crawl goes about. Then we cut to the first shot of this movie, which I talked about in my history. You open on Los Angeles in 2019, the old future of about, what, three years ago. This shot right here blew my mind when I seen it in the theater. Yeah, it's beautiful. I don't know. It's hard for me to describe what my thoughts were on it at the time. I just remember, I still remember even 10-year-old David from back then looking at this shot and just being like, oh, wow, what is this? And I was in. 
Yeah. You know, you just see this whole cityscape and fire just shooting mm-hmm. out of buildings. And I don't know, it was just, it was mind-blowing to me. Spinners going through the mm-hmm. sky. Yeah, like flying cars. And yeah, the It kind of has the appearance of like almost like a city with still electricity in the buildings. There's cars, there's people, but yet like with the fire coming out, it almost yeah. looks like apocalyptic. Yes, yes. Or something. We uh, just kind of, the camera takes us through this city, and we're zooming through. We go up to this building that almost looks like, I guess almost like a pyramid. Yeah. In a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It almost looks like a pyramid. And we go inside, and there's a man waiting there in an office. And we kind of find out this character's name is Holden. And he's sitting there waiting on somebody to come in, and we see a guy walk in, in the room. And he asks uh, the guy, you know, go ahead and sit down. What we find out here is Holden is a Blade Runner and he's doing what is called a Voight comp test on people that come into this room. And they do like like a scan of their retina. Yes. So I guess they're testing how their retina reacts to their answers. Yes. Like you could tell they're lying or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. It's like a, a test that uh, scans at and your response is emotionally to questions. So like in the end, this is to see if they're... A replicant. Yeah, that's basically what this test is. And anybody that sits down and does it, because replicants are going to have a different reaction since they're technically not human. Right. They won't have, they're testing their empathy. Empathy. Exactly. Um, by asking them certain kinds of questions, see how, like a, a human would, well, <laughs> I think that's funny because some humans wouldn't react with any empathy. That's the, that's the funny <laughs> part about this whole thing. That's the funny part about this whole thing. Because there's some people would be like, I don't care. And Holden, you know, sits down with this uh, guy, Leon. And Leon's sitting across the table. And you can kind of tell Leon is maybe a little slow. I didn't know if he was, I always kind of... suspicious of him. I always kind of leaned toward he was either slow or he was playing slow to hmm. kind of throw him off. I never was really 100% sure because you see him later. He seems like he's almost, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? He's the... Because he's very strong, too. They say uh, he works on the off-world, too, or he did, and they say he's very strong. So I always wondered if he was like a big brute guy, but with not much going on upstairs. But maybe it's very possible he could be just playing dumb here, too. I kind of took it as he was defensive. That could be, too. I've seen that as well. Uh, Holden starts asking him questions about, you know, you're walking through a desert and there's a turtle... And he says, what's a, tur- a tortoise? Yeah, he says, he says, what's a tortoise? And he goes, have you heard of a turtle? And he said, yeah. And he said, like same thing. It. Yeah. And he says something like, well, I've never seen one. And he starts asking him these questions. You know, you see it up on his back and you're not helping it and everything. And he starts getting kind of agitated by this question. Holden just kind of says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is just a routine test we're giving to everybody. No big deal. Kind of trying to put him at ease a little bit. Then Holden asks him a question about his mother. And Leon kind of leans up and, you know, he's like, uh, you want to know about my mother? A gunshot goes up from under the table and knocks Holden up against a wall. And then Leon stands up. He's got a gun. And he fires again and basically <laughs> knocks Holden right through the wall with this gun. I mean, this had to have been a serious gun. So apparently, uh, if anybody hadn't figured it out, Leon's a replicant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he definitely is. And then we kind of cut to the outside. 
you know, we see the cityscape outside again. I'm going to, I know many people, you're going to hear me say stuff in here, probably millions of people have already said, but this is probably one of the most detailed movie sets I've ever seen, ever. Yeah. Just the detail of this. Vendors out on the street, the overpopulation of this place. I like the almost like movies playing on side of the buildings. Yeah, the billboards, which in some ways are things we have now. Mm -hmm. You go up to Times Square in New York, those kinds of billboards Mm -hmm. are there now. It always trips me out with these futuristic movies where they have like flying cars and we're not that far yet. No, (laughs) no, not yet. We have electric cars, but we we haven't advanced as much as I thought we would. There you go. This um, vendor area is almost like a lot of Chinese vendors. That's the thing about it. If you look at this movie, there's a lot of Asian influence on this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say... Where'd that come from? I think this is kind of a stab on something that a lot of people are even worried about now. How Asia has became more prominent and financially better off than we are. I think in some ways. So everybody's thinking maybe Asia will overtake America in a lot of ways and there'll be more Asian things That's happening here. now. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, because we buy a lot of stuff from other countries. Yeah, but they're, they've really built their army up and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of things. They will surpass us probably. I mean, this movie, I won't get into it in my review, but there's a lot of stuff in this movie that has kind of came to pass now. But we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You know, and of course we have the blimp that goes by this kind of thing and it talks about going to the off-world colonies. Basically, I guess you just, uh, you know, you don't live on Earth anymore. You can go live on uh, off-world. I guess it's Mars or the moon or wherever. Because that's what the replicates, I guess, are. They're just slave labor. So there. like when you choose to go, do you go and just work? You live. The replicates do the work. You just go up there to live. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Why can't we have that now? Yeah, well. We'll go somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, judging by how this world looks, I think, you know, it shocks me that a lot of people aren't going. And then we kind of just move through these city streets and we see um, our lead here, uh, Deckard, sitting there reading a newspaper, which is very weird to see because nowadays it would be a tablet or a phone. (laughs) Yep. But that is a stab on the mixture in this movie mm-hmm. are we going to talk about that yet or do you want to wait the mixture of the almost the 1930s oh we can do um, that now. what do you call it art deco kind art of. deco you know how they always had the detective reading the newspaper yeah in the movies that's what it kind of reminded me of oh yes yes i mean the film is pretty steeped in film noir aspects yeah Mm -hmm. i mean oh i totally i totally agree with that the clothes and the hair and they they all have jackets with the big collars yeah exactly this is the first and we get the voiceovers which are only in the theatrical cuts of the film which i appreciated because i didn't know what was going on oh well that's the thing about it, there, and I don't fault anybody for this. There are people who love the voiceovers, and there are people who don't. I could, I was having a hard time following. Like, who is this person? What's going on? I mean, I'll, I'll have to admit, I'll get into the voice. We can get into the voiceovers briefly right now. I'm good with them either way. I do have to admit, I tend to watch the movie without it more than this one now, because 
the voiceovers kind of intrude on the atmosphere and the mood of the film to me a little bit, particularly the last one after, you know, it, spoiler alert, uh, the last uh, the Tears and Rain speech. I kind of feel like that voiceover is a little intrusive. But outside that, I don't really mind the voiceovers that much. But of course, I grew up on them, so I have a, an affection for them. I feel like the voiceover was the only way that you really understood Deckard at all. Because he's very unlikable to me. Yes, he is. There's very little that would have made me like him as a lead. Yeah. So I kind of liked that because it did kind of give you some insight into his mind and the way he was thinking about things and actual feelings that he might have. And you're thinking like one of the studios like it is at the time because that's what they exactly pretty much felt too. So there you go. But you find out he was he's an ex-Blade Runner. He's retired. Yeah, he's retired. And I he guess. says, I'm an ex-Blade Runner, ex-killer. Yes. Then he's um, called over to this, uh, I guess what you call kind of a noodle bar. And he orders uh, some uh, noodles and some shrimp. Sushi. Yeah. You know, he gets his food and he's sitting there eating. And then this man approaches behind him. This is the character Gaff, who is talking to him in city speak. Deckard acts like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he asks the guy behind the counter to turn, what's he saying? He says, you're under arrest, Mr. Deckard. And Deckard's like, nope, I'm sorry, I'm eating. He has the wrong guy. Yeah, he has the wrong guy. <laughs> Gaff has some wacky eyes. Yeah, he's got these kind of, almost eyes, you almost think he would be blind. Yeah. The way the color the, his like, eyes, but they're not. Um, silver yeah. contact. Gaff says something, and the name Brian comes up. And then Deckard kind of looks like, oh, okay. And he's like, okay. You know, he, he, he goes along. Is it Brian or Bryant? Bryant. Bryant. I, I, I've heard Brian or Bryant. I don't it's, think I, It says Bryant on Brian. IMDb. That's probably what it is. T on yeah. the end. Yeah. They go to um, one of these spinners. They just Then we get some more shots of this cityscape. Because they're going to, I guess, what you call the Blade Runner unit station. And you find out that Deckard uh, knew who Gaff was. He kind of seen him around, but he wasn't going to make his job easier for him. I don't know, we just get, like I said, we get more amazing shots of these uh, sets and the details and the models, which, you know, I just, I love looking at this stuff. And then they come in to land at the uh, Blade Runner unit. Well, they're in a police car. Yeah, it's like a spinner. That's what I think. So this is kind of like the police station, I guess. Then we cut to a shot and uh, we see Brian sitting in his office. Like an old 1930s office. Yeah. The way the door looks and. Yep. And he's sitting there, and then Deckard comes in. Brian just looks at him and says, you know, hey, Deckard, I, I knew you wouldn't have come if I just asked you to. Yeah, he, he wants him to come out of retirement to hunt some replicants. Yeah, well, he says that there are four uh, skin jobs walking the streets. <laughs> then we hear Deckard say something like, you know, something about skin jobs, another term for replicants, and like when they call black men the N-word. I know. Basically. I was like, whoa. Yeah, so I guess it's deemed a racist term mm-hmm. in this uh, time, in this world. Bryant wants him to find these replicants, and Deckard says, why don't you get somebody else? Why don't you get Holden? 
you know, he said Holden's good. And he says, well, Holden is like in an iron lung, basically because he was shot, because he found one and he was shot. <laughs> this is the one that Leon shot. Yeah, and Decker just, uh, just like, sorry, I'm just not interested. And he walks out. He starts to leave. leave. And he says, you know, Brian's like, stop where you are. Mm-hmm. You're not cops. You're little people now. Pretty much threatens him. like, you don't have a choice. Yeah, you don't have a choice with this. Yeah. So basically, I'm the man here, and I will tell you what to do, whether you want to do it or not. Yeah. I guess, you know, Decker, of course, has no choice. And then we go into a room. Bryant is with Deckard, and they're looking over, I guess, what you'd call the uh, video files of these replicates that escaped. Yeah, and they're watching that interview that Leon was having. Yeah, and they say, this is the one This is the one that got um, Holden. Yeah, and he mentions that they tried to break into the Tyrell Corporation. Was Two of them was killed, because there were six of them. Now there's only four. Yeah, they were like fried on an electrical fence or something, and they died. You know, we see Brian, uh, Leon. Yeah, that was Leon. That was in the first one. And then we see the next one pop up, and this is Roy Batty. This yeah. is a combat model. And Decker kind of looks at him like, oh, you know, what's this? You know, that's when you kind of learn about what he is. And they, and Brian's, Brian says this is probably the leader mm-hmm. of the group. He looks different. He looks unique from the rest of them. Yes. And then we go to Zura, and uh, she, I think Bryant basically describes her as like, you know, you see Beauty and the Beast. She's both of them together. And then we go to Pris, which he just offhandedly says, oh, she's just your typical pleasure model. So basically like a replicate hooker. And I found it funny when I noticed this a number of years ago, her date that she was born was Valentine's Day 2016. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so I, I, I didn't ever notice that until I, I was reading that one day i was like oh that's pretty cool he basically bryant wants to send deckard to the tyrell corporation to put the test on one of these uh replicates that's at the tyrell corporation mm-hmm. he says she's a nexus six or he says that the replicate is a nexus six they don't say if it's a man he doesn't say if it's a man or yeah. a woman Deckard even just wants to know, like, well, why were all these replicates trying to get into the Tyrell Corporation? And Bryant says, well, that's for you to find out. That's, you know, I guess that's why we're paying you the big bucks. Oh, you know, you yeah. got to go figure this out for, mm-hmm. figure this out for us. Yeah. Okay. And then we cut to the Tyrell building, which, like I said, the Tyrell building is like this big kind of period. It's almost like it's the biggest building in the city. It's like parts of the building... It almost kind of reminds me of, like, Star Wars, the models of yeah, the ships. I can see that. The way the, sh- the parts of it shifts away mm-hmm. and moves. Yeah, I can see that. You know, Deckard uh, gets to the Tyrell building, and he's standing there waiting in a room. And he's, like, looking at this owl. And then he hears a woman say, you know, you like our owl. And yeah. she kind of walks out into out of the darkness and this is a rachel she looks very 30s yeah uh she yeah very kind of film noir Mm -hmm. very film noir you know she asked uh, i said do you like our owl and deckard says is it real and she says no because in this world there's very little to no wildlife anymore you know because anything like a animal or a pet or something there's not really any now you know deckard just sits there and you know he's talking to her a little bit and she knows he's like a Blade Runner. 
And she asked him a question like, you know, have you ever retired a human by mistake? And he says, no. And then uh, Tyrell walks in and introduces himself. You know, he asks, uh, Deckard, would you do this Voight comp test on a human for me? And he says, why? He says, well, before I provide you with a replicate, I want to see it done on a someone else just to see how it works and Decker's like well who what do you want me to do do it on you and he's like no try Rachel Rachel Decker sits down with her and sets up the test and she just you know lights up a cigarette typical film noir kind of look here going on yep and he starts asking her a series of questions yeah but when you notice her smoking her eyes are glowing gold yeah there's kind of this golden kind of glow to them Mm -hmm. yeah it's weird and he just asked her a series of questions, and I guess her reactions are normal. And then he finally asked her a question about this banquet. And he says, there's a point where somebody brings out a bold dog. And she has no reaction to this. And then the test is over. And then uh, Tyrell walks over Rachel says, well, that'll be all, thank you. And then she leaves the room. And Deckard says, she's a replicate. And Tyrell says, well, how... How many questions did it take? And Deckard says, well, does it matter? How many questions does it take to find out a replicate? He says, oh, 20, maybe 30. He, he says about 100. He says there's 100 for Rachel. And he says she is, I guess, kind of hints that she is special because there's more implanted memories into her. Deckard is kind of like, so she doesn't know she's a replicate. He's like, how can it not know what it is? Notice he says the word it. Yeah. Not her. Yeah, it's an it. I thought that was kind of sad. They get they implant memories that are not actually their own. So you were walking around knowing, having all these memories that aren't yours, and you assume they're, they're fake. They're, and they're fake. Yeah. Yeah, I said Decker's just like, well, how can it know, not know what it is? And then we cut to a scene where Deckard is, he's outside of a building with Gaff. And we kind of find out as we go in, this is Leon's apartment. They got his uh, address from the tape. And he's kind of snooping around in the apartment looking for clues. Gaff is standing outside. He makes a little origami thing out of like a toothpick or something like that. And he just sits it there on the counter. And Decker goes into the bathroom and he looks in the bathtub and he sees something in the tub. And he gets it and he looks at it and it's like a scale. And he puts it in a little uh, baggie. And then he walks out, you know, looking around in the drawers, and he pulls out this drawer, and there's a bunch of photographs in the drawer. And he kind of looks uh, through those and takes them with him. Then we cut to Batty, who is like in a, I guess it's almost like a phone booth of some kind. He's in like a booth or in a little building of some kind. And his hand looks like it's kind of clenching up. And there's a knock outside, and he walks out, and Leon is there. Do you call him Batty or Roy? You can call him either one. Oh, Roy, I wrote Roy. In oh, that's totally fine. Leon tells him that someone was at my place. Yeah, and he went back to get his photos. Yeah. And he noticed that the police were there. Yeah. That's what Batty says, or Roy. He says, it, so it's policemen. And Leon's like, yes. And they kind of walk away and they go to a nearby building. I guess that's what they were going to do. Batty was just waiting on uh, Leon, Leon to get there. Yeah. And they go into this uh, building, which I guess is the best way to describe it. It's like a refrigerated building. But it's also like a lab. It's like a lab, but it's yeah. like very cold in there because, you mm-hmm. know, you can see. 
And there's this uh, little Asian man working in there who is Chew. yeah Chu as a uh, AKA uh, James Hong. Lopan. Yeah, Lopan, and he's messing around with, with eyes like an eyeball, which I found was funny because remember he had a thing for colored eyes, green eyes. Yeah, green eyes. Big trouble in China. <laughs> yep, which was uh, well about two three years after this or a little bit somewhere around in there. They basically. I don't know, strong arm Chew a little bit. I don't know if strong arm is the right word for it. They kind of intimidate him a little bit. What is this tube things in his back? To me, that's an insulated suit. Okay. Because it's so cold. Apparently, it's so cold in there that that thing is wrapped around him. Tubes are probably pumping hot air into the suit. That's what I I always assumed. They jerk that off. Yeah, so he is sitting there freezing. And Batty just tells him, I have questions. Yeah, he wants to know... Who the man was that created them. He wants incept dates. Yeah. Basically, the dates on, I guess, birth and death of a replicate. He wants those. And this Chew says, I just do your eyes. I made your eyes. And Batty says, well, if you could only see what I've seen with your eyes. Chew tells him you ought to see Tyrell. And then Batty's like, Tyrell Corporation. Well, Batty's like, well, that's not an easy man to see. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he said, and Chew says, well, there's a guy, J.F. Sebastian. He can get you to Tyrell. And then Batty's like, well, where do we find this uh, Sebastian? Then we cut to a scene back. I guess Deckard is headed back to his apartment. He goes up and you find out he lives on the 97th floor of this building. So this is a extremely high building. And he's in the elevator. You can tell he's, I guess he's just had a long day. He's tired and everything. And he's sitting there. And then by the time the elevator door opens, he whips his gun around and points it in a direction. And it's Rachel's been sitting in the elevator this whole time. I guess just kind of staring at him like quietly. And he didn't ever notice her sitting there. And he just walks uh, to his apartment building. He's like kind of got the shakes and he's just kind of agitated. Which I always kind of took it as later on as I was watching this. I think Deckard's kind of an alcoholic. You know. And like a introvert. Yeah, very introvert. An alcoholic introvert, which is not a good combination to be. She wants to know what he found out during that interview. Yes. Because she asked Tyrell and he wouldn't tell her. And he offers her a drink and everything. Rachel then pulls out something, a picture. He says, you know, I want you to look at this. This is me with my mother. And then Decker starts saying, you know, stuff like these things to Rachel by like, you remember this. You remember this? Do you remember this spider that lived outside your window? And then the eggs hatched, and all these babies came out. And then she finishes what he's saying. Didn't she? Didn't he say something weird about her brother? Yeah, he says that's another memory about you. That her brother he, touched her. Or well, something? no, no, they were playing doctor, and he showed her his. And then when she was oh, going to, okay. she chickened out. He says, "Do you remember that?" And then he talks about the spiders. And then she finishes this thought. And he says, these two things, basically, these two things I told you aren't your memories. These are Tyrell's niece's memories that are implanted in your head. That's how I knew them. So basically, he pulls a asshole move to tell her, you aren't real. You're not human. You're You're a replicant. Yeah. And he didn't do it in any kind of subtle, nice way. No, just blunt like. You're just nothing. Oh, he's an asshole. Yeah. This, I remember watching this scene when I was a kid, and I kind of got the gist of this scene when I was a kid. I was like, that is mean as hell. Starts crying. And I yeah. think he realizes he kind of yeah. screwed up right there. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, let me go get you that drink. You know, <laughs> you know, and he goes to 
the kitchen to get a drink for, and she just has her pictures and she just tosses them down and walks out. She leaves. And I love a uh, little mention in this apartment. I love how every room you walk into, the lights will come on. Yeah. And then when you walk out, the lights go off. You know, I like those little touches right there. She walks out. I don't know. It's just like I said, that's just, it's very cold of how he did that. Decker just kind of picks up the photos and just looks at them. Did you wonder why he, once he found out that she was a replicant, doesn't that make her wanted? Yeah. Why didn't he add her to the list? I think he felt like shit when he seen her crying. Because he probably yeah. had never been around a replicate that actually started crying before. And I think that jarred him a little bit. I because think that per- he did. Didn't that person say earlier that they could learn? Yeah, learn they emotional learn feelings. Re- yeah, they yeah. learn responses, emotional responses. And I think her crying threw him off. Yeah, because there's a voiceover saying that replicants aren't supposed to have feelings. Yeah. The same as Blade Runners. Yeah, yeah. Which he's very much like that. Yeah, very detached, very cold. He makes a comment that he doesn't know what is happening to him. Yeah, yeah. I think he was just a little affected by hurting her. Yeah, I think I think that clicked in because he realized, whoa, wait a minute, I've overstepped here. I think there's a little attraction between them, yeah. even from the moment they met. Yeah. They're both very inward, though. Well, that's a, a point that is in this movie a great deal, how everybody's so detached. And ironically, the replicates to me are the ones that aren't detached. This is like when me and you met. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you made me cry. Yeah, <laughs> when you punched me in the face. Get up. And after this scene here, we cut to a homeless girl like walking in the streets. It, it looks like the slum area of this already destroyed mm-hmm. city look you know basically this is Pris and it, we, we find out this is Pris and she is she goes to I guess lay in kind of a little alleyway there and you know kind of covers up with some um, uh, trash, old, old, newspaper. trash newspapers yeah she's kind of dressed like a prostitute I guess so she's got garter belts and I could see that very, yeah like gothic black dress and then we see a vehicle pull up and this guy gets out and he's walking to this building you know not too far away from her and he drops something and start startles Pris, and she yeah. gets up and takes off and runs and slips up and breaks a uh glass which i heard was not supposed to happen Oh, it was an accident? Yeah, it was an accident. Oh, she wow. actually broke that thing with her arm for real, like cut her arm. Dang. She's, I think she says she's still got the scar to it for this day. <laughs> we find out, that, and this man that uh, walks up to her, we, this is J.F. Sebastian. This is the man that, that um, uh, Batty and Leon are looking for. Yes. And Pris, you know, just plays like, I'm hungry, I don't have I'm any lost. place to go, I'm lost. Yeah. She has a very kind of lost little girl yeah that's like yeah that's kind of the aura she gives off i mean you see kind of jf seems like he's kind of a nice guy he's like well i got some food and stuff up there at my place come Mm -hmm. on up and you know and everything she's a little bit flirty i always said to me in some ways she is the scariest one to me because Mm -hmm. she seems like she's the one that can flip on a dime pretty quick well you remember what they called her she's a pleasure model yeah so she uses her yeah. sexual her her body yeah. to trick people. Yeah. JF takes her up to his place and he lives in this whole building. It's basically he's up in there by himself. 
And, you know, he's kind of talking a little bit. He says, yeah, I work for the Tyrell Corp- Corporation. I'm a genetic designer for him. You know, he says he uh, makes, you know, he's got these friends in his apartment that he made. And basically he's got these little toys, toys, you know, kind of little robot things that he makes that, you know, are in his building. I liked his apartment. It's kind of like steampunk. Yes. And it's like full of like um, toys that he's made and yeah. dolls. I mean, you can see stuff that he's probably been working on, stuff that, you know, he's mm-hmm. probably just gotten started on in general. But, yeah, JF asked her, you know, where are your friends? You got any friends around? He says, well, I'm going to try to see if I can find them and let them know where I'm at tomorrow. Then we cut to back to Deckard's apartment. And he's sitting there playing at a piano, and he's just kind of looking at these photos that are around his piano, and he picks one of them out. And he gets his uh, bottle hooch. And then he goes to the couch and puts the uh, photo in this machine. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's called an Esper. And what this machine does is it takes a photo and it enhances every aspect of the picture. You mm-hmm. can just sit there and have it go from this side of the picture, this side, and, and magnify it. So you can see every detail in this picture. And he scans around this picture, and then he comes across a thing that has snake scales on it. And he looks at the snake scale that he's got. It looks very similar to that one. Then he scans it over a little bit further into the picture, way deep into the picture, and there's a woman laying in a bed. And then he looks at that, and he says, I want a hard copy of that right there. And then it prints him out a copy of this picture, and it's a woman laying in a bed who has a snake tattoo on the side of her neck. So, okay, he's got a snake scale, and he's got a picture of a woman with a tattoo. So there's there's a lead right yeah. there. And Deckard then, next we cut to him, he's back out on the streets and he takes this uh, scale to a woman in like a vendor shop or something. And he says, do you know where this fish scale came from? Yeah, and she says it's a snake scale. Yeah, he says, well, it's manufactured, you know, it has a manufacturer number. And he says, yeah, and you're right. She says, no, this isn't a fish scale. It's a snake scale. A snake scale. And he's like, snake. He said, and she points him out and says, well, this is the man that probably made it. He works right over there if you want to go talk to him. Deckard goes over and kind of has to strong arm this guy a little bit <laughs> because, like, who made this? And he finally tells him, oh, I sold it to someone that's down in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. You know, Deckard uh, finds his way to this uh, place in, uh, I guess what it's called, a Fort Sector. It's like this little bar. Uh, I guess what you say, kind of a bar, kind of a club down there. Like a party going on. He walks in, and he's kind of looking for the owner of the place, and the owner of this place is named Taffy Lewis. <laughs> you know who he was. Yeah, I know. I pointed out. The guy know. from Hackalantern. Yeah, the guy from Hackalantern. <laughs> Blood. Blood. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, I always forget he's in this until I sit down and watch it again. I mean, he isn't in it very long, but he's there. Deckard shows him the picture. He says, do you know this woman? And he's just like, he, and Taffy's just kind of being evasive with the answers. And Deckard just kind of finally just says, you know, are your licenses in order in here? Because, uh-huh. you know, basically, I'm going to shut your ass down if you don't You'll give me any answers. Tell me what I want. Yeah, and Taffy's like, uh, this man looks a little dry here. Why don't you uh, give him a drink on the house? And uh-huh. Taffy just leaves. Deckard's like, well, all right then. <laughs> you know, because apparently he ain't going to get the information from him that way. I guess even uh, talking shit to him like it didn't pan out. And uh, next we go, and Deckard is like on a, I guess what you'd call, he calls Rachel up on a phone, which is a, um, what you call it, kind of a TV kind of. Uh, it almost screen. looks like an ATM. ATM, He yeah. slips his thing in it. Yeah. And then it like calls her. Yeah. 
I'm actually shocked they don't have something like this now to a certain degree, even though they kind of do, if you want to call like what's called kind of webcam mm-hmm. kind of things, I guess in a way it's something like that. And he says, well, you know, you want to meet me down here for a drink? And he says, I usually don't have women run out on me when I'm being so charming. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I think he realizes, you know, I kind of screwed up. And he says, well, I'm down at this place in Fort Sector if you want to meet me down here. And she says, that's just not my kind of place. I'm sorry. And she just basically hangs up on him. And so it's like, well, that's shot down again. I don't blame her. Yeah, I don't either. And then Deckard's back at the bar drinking, and there's this uh, snake show about to start. Uh, Miss Salome, who's doing this show, uh, Snake Dance, which we never see, which I think originally they was going to shoot, but they just didn't have time to shoot it. Well, they didn't really need to because he ran into her in the hallway. Well, there you go. I mean, but then, you know, we don't see this show, but then we cut back to Deckard is backstage reading the newspaper, and he's just kind of scanning everybody. And then we see this woman walking through with snake scales on her. He does this voice of like this little nebbish nerdy guy mm-hmm. who's like uh, for the Council of Moral Abuses. And, you know, basically, uh, I guess it's up something to look out for women who feel exploited in any way. He's doing this little nerdy voice and she's just kind of looking at him like, what the hell? <laughs> and he's just like, you know, do you feel yourself being exploited anyway? And she's like, no. I found this, fu- this scene funny. Yeah. Because he's talking about... Is she being taken advantage of? Yeah. But she's so comfortable dr- changing her outfit in front of him. Yeah. It shows her titties and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. takes a shower. Yeah. And then gets out and she, I think she even asked him to help her dry herself. Dry yeah. herself. Yeah, I know. But while she's in the shower, Deckard says, well, I want to check your room, you know, for uh, holes. Curves. Yeah, for <laughs> holes in the wall. So, you know, people get a glimpse of a beautiful body. And she's just like rolls around like whatever. And he walks over and he's looking at the snake scales and he looks at them like, yep, these are like the ones I found in the tub. And then that's the point where she gets out. She's got that hair dryer thing where you stick your head up in there and it dries your hair. You just, you're just like in this little area and it just dries your hair like almost like a, like when you go through a car wash yeah, and yeah, at the end where yeah, it dries yeah. your car. Yeah. I was like, I, I want one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I think the actor said that that air was very cold because they couldn't wow. have it hot. So she said, just like, oh, you know, stick your head <laughs> up in there. She gets out and like I said, she basically, she doesn't mind being half dressed in front of him. Nope. She's like, well, if I do feel exploited, who I call me <laughs> and, she, and Decker's like me. He says, well, you're a very dedicated man. He said, well, I'll drive my back, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he she throws him the towel, and she turns around, and he's starting to drive her back. And she whips around and knocks the shit out of him. She's a tough bitch. Yeah, and she, you know, I mean, he flies halfway across the room <laughs> and lands on, like, a couch. And she grabs him by his, I guess, his collar or his tie that he has on and starts to strangle him. Strangling. I think she would have killed him, but then some people start walking in the room, and she just grabs her, I guess, this kind of like coat that is kind of a transparent kind of plastic kind of thing, and mm-hmm. she takes off. Before she started fighting with him, she put spike boots on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I imagine were hell to run in. Well, I said she takes off out into the crowded streets. Then Deckard comes right out behind her. He's got his gun in hand. Yeah, he's chasing her. Yeah, he's chasing her down. She gets in the kind of like Chinatown area or downtown an area with a bunch of people and he loses her. Yeah, she's trying to blend in with the crowd mm-hmm. and try to lose him. You can kind of tell, I mean, because there's guys harassing her 
this scene right here, I thought about it over the years. This is almost like a hunter hunting down a frightened animal. That's really what this thing is. He's almost firing at her a few times. He sees her in a crowd and he's pointing his gun at her, but he can't get a clear shot of her. She just continues to run through the city streets. He finally catches up to her because she is running. I mean, she's running and you can see the fear on her face when she's running. And Decker just tells everybody, clear out, get out of the way. And he points the gun at her and he fires. And I guess he misses that first shot. But then he fires again and that second shot and it hits her right in the back. And she kind of bursts through this glass. Like, a, I guess, a glass in a building or somewhere. She collapses and starts gets up and starts to run again. And then he fires a second shot into her. Yeah, I was like, I really do not like this dude. Yeah. I really did not like him well, he, at all. Yeah, and he shoots her right in the back, and he shoots her right in, in the front, and she collapses, and she's down. Was it in the voiceover? He says something like, I didn't feel good about shooting a woman in the back. But he says, it made me think about her. Yeah. And I guess think about Rachel, because mm. I guess in a way the voiceover is trying to tell you that it's very possible I might have to do this to her. And he's not feeling good about it. I made a note that this woman literally busted through every glass. She ran through a lot of glass. Door. Yeah. In this area. Yeah, she, she barreled right through it. I like the sound on here because you hear a heartbeat sound. That's one thing I was wanting to talk about where they was talking about robots. She has a heartbeat. If that's her heartbeat, then I don't know that I would call her a robot. And her blood was red. That's why I always looked at the replicates. I mean, everybody might have a different opinion of this. To me, the replicates are almost like clones or synthetic humans that they just, you know, manufacture like in a test tube or something. Aren't robots always kind of portrayed as metal inside? That's why I was thinking that, too. They're not. Now, I'm not saying that these people aren't genetically engineered to be stronger and maybe have implants in them mm -hmm. that make them stronger. But I never looked at them like robots. They're like... Particularly um, after this scene. Clones? That's why I always look at that kind of clones, maybe. Like, you know, like test tubes, like grown yeah. test tubes, maybe. You know, she's laying there and her heart stops. Then I guess there's police around and Deckard is standing there and they roll her over and you see her body and everything laying there. And then, of course, they move her head around and you see that snake tattoo on her. That was the woman in the picture for sure. You see Leon standing nearby, and he realizes one of his group just got killed. Yeah, he's standing off in the crowd just staring mm -hmm. at this as it happened. So they're down to three. Yeah. Deckard walks over to this little vendor booth and buys a bottle of liquor, and then uh, Gaff walks up to him, you know, kind of taps him on the shoulder with his cane and tells him, Brian. And Brian is over waiting by Spinner and tells him, yeah, you know, Deckard, you look like hell. Look uh, worse than that skin job you left over there on the sidewalk. I think Deckard is like your typical drunk or yeah. addict. Yeah. He uses that to hot to bury when he starts to care about things or feel things. Yeah. He gets drunk. I mean, they never go into this in the movie, but the reason, and I think they even mention it in the uh, voiceover, that the reason he quit being in Blade Runner is because he had too much, there was just too much killing. And he was getting, it was messing him up. Yeah. And a lot of people with PTSD and things mm -hmm. like that, what's one of the things that they do? They drink mm -hmm. to kind of numb it. Or some kind of addiction. Yeah. That's, that's what I kind of got from this anyway. And of course, yeah, you're right. He's buying alcohol to kind of, you know, after this happened, he's got to drink. 
and Brian meets him out there by the spinner, of course, and uh, he he tells Gaff, you know, he says, yep, this is my man right here, basically. You know, he's a one-man slaughterhouse. And Brian just seems to, yeah, you know, it's just all in the day's work, you know, going around killing a woman. You know, that empathy thing. Well, Brian says, okay, well, there's just four more to go, and then Decker looks at him like, no, there's three to go. And Brian's like, no, there's four. That one that you was at the Tyrell Corporation, uh, Rachel, he says that she disappeared. So basically that means that Deckard's got to go hunt her and kill her too. And of course, no, needless say, Deckard isn't feeling that. But Brian don't really give a shit. He says, well, I'm, you know, drink one for me, pal. And he gets in the spinner and he goes. And Deckard's standing there on the sidewalk and he looks across the street and he sees Rachel over there in a the crowd. And he's trying to make his way over to her. You know, needless say, not having a good effort of it because there's so many crowd, there's so much of a crowd out there, and he loses her. And then about that time, his arm, this hand grabs him and pulls him into this side alleyway. And it's Leon. And, it's Leon. and Leon says, "How long do I have to live? I was born on like 2017 or something like that. How long do I live in uh, Deckard's like four years?" And Leon's just basically roughing Deckard up, beating him up slinging him up against the side of this uh, truck or something. And Decker tries to pull his gun, and Leon knocks it out of his hand and makes it fly across the alley. He throws Deckard around. Finally, he picks Deckard up and just slaps him in the face a few times, and he's like, you know, wake up. It's time to die. It's time to die. <laughs> and he puts his fingers up to Deckard's eyes like he's going to push his fingers right into his skull. And just as he's about to do that, a gunshot fires off, and there's a hole blown in the side of Leon's head. And Deckard's just like stunned. And then Leon just collapses onto Deckard. Then we look over there to the side and we see that it's uh, Rachel with the gun in her hand. Mm -hmm. So she's the one, she saved Deckard's life. Because another minute, or not even another minute, he would have been dead. So Rachel actually saves Deckard. Which is a interesting turn of events considering what she kind of thought of him beforehand. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I guess right here, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we will uh, go into the uh, concluding conclusion of Blade Runner. Something really special that I've been promising to show you. Always go now. Because I'll be here for a short while. Don't you trust me?
we are back at Deckard's apartment and he's uh, there with Rachel and he's like having a drink. She's still very upset that she's a replicant. Yeah, yeah she's, uh, I guess she's still coming to terms with that. Deckard is, I guess, trying his best to kind of comfort her as best as he can, I guess, no. in a way, but he's, he's really not. I <laughs> he mean, pretty I, much turns around and leaves the room. Well, yeah, I mean, and he just, you know, tells her that you got the shakes. He says, I get that a lot too. You know, I guess it's in his own way. He's trying to be comforting as best <laughs> as he can, but not really. Uh, he goes in the other room and like washes the blood off of him, you know, yeah. where the fight he got in with Leon. Yeah, and you know, because he got popped in the mouth. He's got blood running out of his mouth and everything. And Rachel goes over to the bathroom and just kind of watches him kind of wash off. As she moves closer to him, you see her eyes are gold again. Yeah, she just finally says something to him, you know, after he's done and he's getting ready to walk out. He says, what if, she's like, what if I go north? Yeah, she says if she runs, will he hunt her and kill her? And then he's just kind of looks at her like, no. He says, I owe you one. And then he walks out of the room and he calls up behind her. I wouldn't hunt you, but somebody would. And he goes up past her to leave the room. And yeah. you notice his eyes are gold too. So that kind of makes you wonder about him. Yeah, wonder about him, what he is. And then she asked Decker a question like if uh, she he's seen the files on her from Tyrell, you know, like her incident date and everything. And then he just says like, no, I didn't see any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of just dusts it off. And she's just kind of standing there in the hallway and she says, well, have you ever taken that test yourself? You know what it feels like to take one. And then she doesn't hear a response from him. And then she walks in there to the living room area where he's at. And Decker's passed out on the couch. He's got his bottle of uh, his shot glass of liquor on his chest, and he's just literally out. And Rachel just kind of looks around, and she walks down, uh, walks over, and sits down in front of uh, on this piano. It's a uh, Deckard's apartment, and she lets her hair down, and she's looking at the sheet notes, I guess, of the music that's up there. Yeah. And she starts to play the music. Deckard wakes up. From listening to the piano. Yeah, I guess the music kind of startles him out of his sleep. And she's over there playing and everything. And he gets up and walks over there and sits down beside her. And Well, she took her hair down. Yeah. Before he got up, she took her hair down. Oh, yeah. Because her hair was pinned back real tight. Yeah. Real proper looking. But she takes her hair down and takes her jacket off. I don't know what word would be the best way to describe it is... I guess more comfortable. She's more vulnerable. When he first met her, until he told her what she was, she was very proper. Not a a hair out of place. Her outfit was very kind of manly looking. Yeah, I mean, and I just didn't know if her doing this is like she felt more comfortable there now or more comfortable. I wasn't really sure. I always thought that, you know, I guess you could read it many different ways. But yeah, she's... Basically, more in more of a comfort, comfortable thing here, I guess. I think she's more tapping into who she is. Yeah. Just letting the thing flow. Individual. And Decker's just watching her play, you know, and she says, I have memories of being able to play. I just wasn't sure if I could or not. She doesn't know if that's that niece's memories. Are they really hers? Yeah. That would suck. 
Yeah, I mean that's what I know, and I mean. It's but just, do you ever think that think about that when you like I have those kind of memories from my childhood, and as I get older, I realize memories I had weren't really what they were. Yeah, and it makes me <laughs> that kind of made me think of my childhood. Well, what scares me is not so much as that. But have you ever been in a place before? And you thought you've been there before? But you know you never have? Yep. Those Mm -hmm. kinds of things wig me out. Or like you look at something and you have a flash in your brain that you've seen it before. Yeah. yeah. It's a brain thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. You know, Decker's just sitting there listening to her play, like I said. And then, you know, he looks over and says, well, you know, you, you play beautifully. And then he starts to kiss her. He starts to kiss her. He didn't kiss her. He kisses her on her side of her neck. I didn't even think he even got got no, to her. No, he was kissing the side of her cheek and, and on her neck. Leaves. And then he was about to kiss her on the lips. Yeah. And then she just gets up and walks out. Runs out. Yeah, she moves out. And Decker reaches out for her at first, and then he can't grab her. So he just gets up and walks to the door and blocks her from getting out the door. This seems a little odd. Yes, and he kind of pushes her against a wall. Hey, and she shoves her. And it's almost like he does that and he hurts her. And then he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he kind yeah. of backs off. Yeah, he tells her to, to ask him to kiss her. Yeah. It's a very odd scene. It's very kind of like you feel like there is some sexual attraction between them. Yeah. But he's a dickhead. Yeah. That's not how you treat a woman. Now... I wanted to talk to you about this scene because as a woman, what did you think of this scene? Well, I think you, I see two sides of it because I see the, this is the very, like he's, to me, because it's kind of got all this 1930s kind of feel to it. He's like that asshole detective that were always in the movies that you never really got to know and they just said mean things and smacked women and shoved women and that I felt like that was kind of what they were going for here. Yeah. As a woman, I felt like dickhead. Yeah. Why she's she's very upset right now. She she needs tenderness. She needs Karen. She doesn't need you'd be mean to her. Yeah. I mean, it was not a rape scene or anything. It was just I I took it as one of those scenes in movies where you they're fighting and then all of a sudden they have sex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just always curious because I've heard this scene be called kind of a rape scene, which I've never mm, really... Uh, rape I mean, tendencies? I, I could kind of see it. a little bit forceful. I guess, I mean, I was always conflicted on this scene. I kind of see it the same way you do. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of had to go over time and look at it. It's like, he's somebody who's so detached. He's waking up. He's waking up. And he's at first, he's so angry that she's leaving mm-hmm. and he doesn't want her to leave. Because remember at the beginning where he said he had a wife and she called him a cold fish? That was yeah, her nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was so, I guess, a cold fish. Well, I think it was probably at the time he was still a Blade Runner and yeah. he just was so detached yeah. from it. Yeah. I feel like he's kind of, you know how like when you get you first start having feelings for people in certain ways and you have to learn your boundaries. Yeah. He doesn't have any. Yeah. I can see that too. I mean, I just kind of thought that when he pushes her against that and he sees that he's scared her, that's when he's like, he backs off. He's like, whoa, whoa. It's almost like he's learning how to be a person again. I think in a way 
she seems very detached herself, which is probably the replica part of her. Yeah. And she doesn't realize that about herself. Yeah. And she's also, you know, like, where she keeps her hair tight, everything, not a hair's out of, you know, place, everything's perfect looking. She takes her hair down, and I think it's like she's starting to have other kinds of feelings. Yeah. And maybe she don't know what those are. Maybe she's not used to what they are. Deckard is there to a certain degree, too, because he's been so detached and he's like basically living in an alcohol slumber and everything. And he's kind of finally starting. Maybe he's starting to kind of wake up, too. I mean, it was just weird to me when I hear people. I could see where they might want to think it's kind of a rapey kind of scene. It has its rapey tendencies. But I don't know that I would say that exactly. But I could see where somebody would think that. It could be one of those love at first sight kind of situations yeah and he's finally realizing that he cares about her yeah yeah i mean that's what i'm thinking as well and they do actually kind of play that up a little bit more in the sequel too and you gotta think she's upset he's upset what better way to you know just let it let it explode and well i think it was that first that one scene where he was telling her about her memories and she started to cry i think that's when I guess what you would say, the ice was starting to melt a little bit. That you know, it affected it, him. Yeah, it affected him. Yeah. I mean, this scene was just a little... I mean, the first time I watched it, I was like, mm, yeah. I really do not like him. Yeah. Like, at all. Well, yeah. I mean, he's not an easy character to like, but I almost have to look at it as he technically didn't want to do this. He said he had to. Yeah, he had to. <laughs> You know, you're not cops anymore. You're little people. So little people, we get to tell you what to do. And then, you know, like I said, we kind of cut after this uh, scene here. Uh, some people call it a love scene. Some don't. But we will let you watch it and debate this yourself. A lot of people said it was a rape scene. Yeah, there are people that said it was. She returned his kiss. Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't take it as... No, I mean, to me, I've seen rape scenes. And to me, this, this, this didn't feel like a rape scene. It felt a little... It could have easily turned into one. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. It felt like a forceful, mm-hmm. maybe, thing. But I don't know. It's like I said, when I seen him back off, that was right then. It's like, oh, I've overstepped. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't need to do. Yeah. So that was kind of how I looked at it. But like I said, I, I would be very curious when people listen to this episode. Feel free to drop us a line. If you want to talk about this scene, because I would love to hear what other people think of this. I've heard yeah. different sides of it, but I would love to hear any, what anybody's got I to say about this. I can see both sides. Yeah. Because rape, rape is not always getting drug in the bushes. Yeah, yeah. And it could be, yeah. uh, what do well, they call it? Um, that's like, yeah. Coercion. Yeah, yeah. That kind of. Yeah, and it's like I said, that's why I'm very conflicted about this scene. That's I think in a way, because there were several times where he he said, ask me to kiss you, and then later on he said something else. He's trying to make her, give her an option to tell him how she feels. Yeah, that's it. I it mean, even just in a bossy kind of way. Yeah. Because so, that's his personality. So, I mean, to me, it's like I said, I could see both sides of it. But like I said, I'd be very curious to hear other people's mm-hmm. thoughts on this one. After this scene, we cut back to, I guess, uh, uh, at uh, Sebastian's uh, place. And Pris is kind of making herself up. She's kind of got on this, like, 
white kind of makeup on. She's got white face paint on, but she's circled her eyes. Yeah, like spray painted her Black. Eye. Yeah, black. Yeah, she's very gothic. Her, her character's very odd. Did you say already that she creeped you out the most? Yeah, she's the one. Yeah, I think I mentioned that already. Is that she's the one that it's almost like she's... Her personalities are a little bit more... Unpredictable. Off, unpredictable and yeah. off. Yeah. She has this very... Um, childlike thing Childlike way she talks to people, but when she, they turn she's away from her, she looks at them in a way like... She's got a very sinister She's side. very... Um, kind of got that hot, hidden kind of... Yeah. Dark personality or something there. And she kind of does this kind of cartwheel behind Sebastian, who's in a chair... And she walks up to him, and he kind of wakes up, and he says, oh, I didn't see you there. And she asks, uh, how do I look? And he's like, you look very beautiful. She's got gold eyes. And then she, Press looks at him, and he says, she says, how old are you, JF? And she says, uh, he says, 25. And he says, oh, yeah, me. He says, I got like a glandular defect that makes him, I guess it's something makes him look older than he is because mm-hmm. you could see his skin looks like. He says that's why he wasn't able to go off world because of his, uh, you know, his uh, affliction there. Mm-hmm. Because I guess, I guess you can't go off world unless you're one of the elite people. You mm-hmm. know, you got to be perfectly healthy and everything else. So if you got some kind of disease or got something like that, you're not allowed to go. And you know, she is like, you know, I really like you, uh, JF. You know, uh, you know, thank you for everything or something along those lines. And then she just kind of glances up and she says, "Oh, hi, Roy." Mm-hmm. And then there, Jeff turns around, there's Batty standing there. And Batty's just looking around like, oh, look at all these toys, you know, these beautiful mm-hmm. toys in here. And I don't know, JF seems to be kind of startled, and Rory walks up to uh, Pris and kisses her. And you can tell JF is kind of jealous of this, and mm-hmm. he just kind of gets up, and he kind of just walks right literally in between them, like, let, let me go and make us some breakfast. Yeah, I think. She's been very flirty a little bit yeah, with him, and I think him he, on. yeah, yeah, leading him Kind of doesn't like to see her. And yeah, he walks off, and then Pris looks at Roy, and Roy seems to be kind of you know upset a little bit, and he's like, "She's like, what's wrong?" He says, "There's only two of us now." Yeah, Leon and Zora's been killed. Yeah, and Pris is like, "Well, you know, if we make any mistakes, we're gonna die." He said, not us. Yeah, not us. They just kind of grin at each other. Yeah. Cut to, I guess, you know, we're still at Sebastian's apartment. Sebastian is kind of there making breakfast, and Roy's just walking around looking at all the stuff in the place. There's like, like we was talking about earlier, there's all kinds of different kind of toys and various things and being made up. Gothic, and yeah. old gothic dolls and like yeah. a steampunk kind of stuff. I would decorate this whole house with gothic dolls yeah. if I could. Yeah, oh, I mean, to I me. I love it, gothic dolls. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, the production design on this movie is off the chain. Then Sebastian talks to him like, you know, he says, he, he says they're so perfect, so different. You know, he knows that they're replicates. And I think Roy's over there in front of a chessboard. Yeah, and he asked him what kind of replicant he is, and he tells him he's a Nexus 6. Yeah. And he he tells him that he does the genetic design for Tyrell Corp. And that part of him is in them. Yeah, he's some of me's in you. Then uh, JF says, I want to see, show me something. Yeah. And Roy's like, you know, 
we're not computers, Sebastian, we're physical. And Pris gets up and does kind of a flip over, you know, mm-hmm. like a backwards kind of cartwheel, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And then she walks over and reaches into this thing. It's like boiling egg or a potato or something. Yeah. And she reaches into it, and this thing's got to be burning up hot. It doesn't even burn her. Yeah, and she takes it and just throws it to Sebastian. He grabs it, and it burns, burns his hand, him. and he throws yeah. it away. Really, this scene pretty much lays it out that what Roy wants is, I want you to take me to see Tyrell. Your opponent mm-hmm. here who you're playing chess with because Roy was in front of the chessboard. You know, Sebastian's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. And then Roy grabs Sebastian and says, Pris over here doesn't have long to live. I need to see him. Sebastian is just like, he really doesn't want to do it. But then Pris kind of, you know, wraps him up, you know, around her and everything as he's backed up toward her. And she's like, you know, Sebastian, you're just our best friend. You know, we need you to help us. Finally, you know, Sebastian just kind of relents and he's like, okay, okay, mm-hmm. I'll do it. And you can tell he just really doesn't want to. But I think he just kind of forced his hand. And then we cut to uh, outside of the Tyrell building and there's an elevator going up the side of the building. And inside this elevator is Sebastian and Roy. And they call up into uh, Tyrell's, uh, I guess his pet house up there, his big fat pad up there. And he's in there doing his stocks or something like that. And he finds out Sebastian is coming up. And mm-hmm. Sebastian is like, you know, he's like, why is he doing here this time of night? And Sebastian's basically wanting to play some more of the chess moves. You know, he calls up Sebastian and says, you know, move a uh, knight to rook and everything. And Batty's actually telling him the moves to make on the chessboard. And Tyrell's like, hmm, so you got a little bit of a brainstorm going tonight, huh? He said, well, why don't you just come on up and we'll we'll play this game a little further. And then naturally, the elevator goes up. Then uh, Sebastian comes in to Tyrell's penthouse, and Tyrell's there. Sebastian's like, well, I brought somebody to see you. And then Roy walks in, and Tyrell's like, well, I've been kind of waiting for you to show up. Roy tells Sebastian, you stay right here. Tyrell says, well, what do you want? And basically, Roy says, I want more life, fucker. (laughs) Which I prefer the other version of it. Or he says, I want more life, father. Father, because he's his maker. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In the uh, other cuts of the film, like the final cut, they used a father thing, which I think is more appropriate on this. It's, it's like, I always looked at this scene, particularly as I've gotten older, and I think a number of people said this. This is almost like when he's going up an elevator, you're going up to top of a place, like in heaven, mm-hmm. and you're going to see God. This yeah. is what Roy's doing. Roy's going to see his God, yeah. his maker, and he's asking him for more life. Tyrell says they can't make an alteration to a replicant after a certain point. Yeah, after the basically after the code, the genetic code is fixed, you can't go in and rewrite it. Roy's kind of come up with these different things. Have you tried a suppressant, a protein suppressant to fix it, you know, to halt it or delay it? And he says, no, because everything we've tried, it basically makes a virus that ends up killing the replicate on the table. Really, nothing that Roy's coming up with will work. And Tyrell says, we've tried them. They just don't work. Roy sits down, just crushed. And Tyrell says, well, you were born the best we can make you. And Roy's like, well, not to last, though. Tyrell's like, you know, the fire that burns twice as bright burns half as long. 
I felt like it was odd that, you know, they kind of um, consider them not human, but they have a desire to live longer. That's the whole point of this, why they ran to try to get to Tyrell, to try to extend their life. they want to live. They only get four years. Four years. You know, Tyrell sits by Roy and just kind of, is almost kind of trying to comfort him in a way. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, I've always wondered about this. Was he trying to comfort him or was he trying to, I almost got the sense that Tyrell, Tyrell was kind of scared too. And maybe he was just trying to maybe try to calm the situation down a little bit. I don't know if he actually cared about Roy. I think he was more just trying to comfort him just to be sure. I never, I mean, you could look at it either way. Roy just kind of looks over at Tyrell and he just grabs Tyrell by the side of the face and kisses him on the lips. And then all of a sudden you hear a crunch. And what Batty's doing, Roy Batty here, is he is basically pushing into the side of Tyrell's face and he starts digging his thumbs into his eyeballs. (laughs) And blood just starts coming out. He is really, he's just crushing his skull and just gouging his eyeballs out. It's a brutal scene. It's a very brutal scene. Tyrell's just naturally screaming and then Mm -hmm. he just falls over dead. And Sebastian is standing there across the way looking at this and Roy just kind of looks over at him. You don't hear it in this version. You can hear it a little bit more, I think, in the work print version. But as Roy's walking up to him, he's like, okay, now Sebastian, come, come. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, tell him, come on over here so I can just go ahead and we can get this over with, which is kind of scary. And Sebastian, of course, takes off. But, you know, and then we cut back to a scene in the elevator and Roy's there in the elevators is going down by himself. With a very odd look on his face. Yeah, it's almost this look of like, I can't believe what I just did. Yeah. I mean, in some ways you almost have to look at it like he kind of killed God. For him, it was God. And Sebastian, I don't know, it's weird. Would you call Sebastian innocent in this? I think... Sebastian kind of doesn't, he's he's just another person that doesn't really see them as human. Yeah. Um, I think until you run into one and you're around one and you realize that they're not quite what you think, um, you realize that your feelings about it are not really realistic. Because I think when he met Pris, he realized... You know, this is she's more human-like than when he just probably agreed to work for that company, making eyes for them replicants. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Chew, the Asian guy. Oh no, no, he did the ge- genetic. Yeah, he did the genetic something. designs. Yeah, yeah. But he had to have realized what he was doing. But I think he just doesn't see them as people. There you go. There, you so, said exactly what I've said. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. see him that way. I think in a way he's guilty in his mm-hmm. own way because that's exactly he what you were saying. He did involve himself with the process, but doesn't... Uh, he looks at him like it's an automobile that could talk. And he just designed yeah. the genetics to build it. And that's why he looks at it. It's like, here's the part I put in the car, but you're not a real thing to me. Yeah, you. what you said is exactly what I've thought too. And after that, we cut to Deckard out in his uh, car. And mm-hmm. he's uh, listening to, I think uh, Bryant is talking to him on the car radio or something. Says, yeah, we found the body at Tyrell's. That's Tyrell himself and another one is uh, J.F. Sebastian. 
and he tells them the address and everything and all. And then a spinner comes up and asks Deckard what he's doing down there on, on the ground. I guess, you know, there ain't no ground traffic down here. What are you doing? He says, I'm working. What are you doing? You know, he says, well, I'm, gonna, I'm arresting your ass is what I'm doing. And uh, he tells him he's a Blade Runner da, 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 and everything. And the spinner guy just sits there for a minute and says, well, okay, it's all clear. Have a, have a better one. Mm-hmm. And then he takes off. And Deckard then kind of gets uh, JF's number, I guess, to his uh, phone. And he calls the number. And it's another one in video uh, mm-hmm. monitors. And then Pris answers and says, hello. And uh, he, Decker says, well, I'm Eddie. I'm a good friend of J.S. Is he around? I also want to stop by and see you. She's like, no, no, or something like that. And then she just hangs, hangs up. up. Yeah. And he's like, well, I ain't a way to treat a girlfriend of J.S. Then he goes to, well, I guess he pulls up. I don't know if he was outside Sebastian's apartment already or if he was head or if he drove there. But point being, next we see him outside of Sebastian's apartment. He gets out and he walks up to where his apartment is. He's got his gun drawn. And we see Pris inside and she's putting this like veil thing over yeah, her. Yeah, she's using like a white veil and she's disguising herself as like one of the dolls. Yeah, one and of the dolls. Sitting them in the middle of the, herself in the middle of the room with all the other dolls. Yeah, and sitting there just like sitting st- still. Disguise herself and blend in. Yes. And Deckard walks into the apartment and he's like scanning around and walking around looking at all these things. He sees them. I guess what you call them robots or little things are walking around and one of them always bumps into the door and he uh, sees that one. And Decker just walks around and looking at all these other mannequins and you can see Pris sitting there, perfectly still. Just perfectly still. But you you kind of have to remember that he saw pictures of them. Yeah, well, he saw pictures of her and he actually seen her briefly on the video monitor. The video, yeah. Yeah. And he walks up to the one that looks like Pris, and he kind of pulls that veil off, and he's kind of looking just to see, is that what I was just talking to? I guess that's what he's thinking. And before he can really react or anything, she literally kicks him dead in the <laughs> chest and just make, knocks him across the room. Yeah, a vicious fight. Yeah, and she does these uh, flips and then just catches him between her legs, and she turns him around and slaps him on the side of the head. <laughs> Like in the ears or something, I guess. Yeah. I guess to disorient him. Then I just like how she just grabs her two fingers and puts them in his nose and it just has his head hanging there by his nose. Yeah, she has him like a crotch Yeah, crotch, grab. crotch level, yeah. <laughs> his face is right in her crotch. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I mean, she's roughing his ass up good. <laughs> and she just drops him to the floor and he's just like, oh, shit, you know. And she runs across the room. And then she does some more backflips toward him. And uh-huh. he rolls out away and pulls his gun out and fires at her and hits her in the back. A second woman, this guy's shot in the back. And she falls to the floor and is flailing around like a, I guess almost, almost akin to this to like, I don't know if you've ever seen this where somebody cuts off a chicken's head. And it starts flopping. Snake. Yeah, and it starts yeah. flopping around. That's almost what this reminded me of. I thought it looked like she was possessed. Yeah, I mean that too. <laughs> And she is flailing around, and there's this like ear-piercing scream that she's doing. Mm-hmm. And Decker just stands up, and he fires, like, I won't say, what, two or three more shots into her before she finally is just, she's done. Now, Leon didn't do that, and the other lady didn't do that. Why yeah. did she do this? I don't know. What's different about her? I don't know. I mean, to me, I guess you can almost look at it as everything dies differently. 
the other ones died quiet more quietly mm -hmm. she didn't go quietly i mean that's my best guess i mean i don't really know I, I that's a good that's a good question though i'm not sure either that's a very good question i never really thought about that till you just yeah. said it but i mean i guess i almost looked at it like she dies a it's like an extremely violent death mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because he yeah. just keeps pumping bullets into her until mm -hmm. she dies i mean but at least he was defending himself in this one well yeah yeah well, yeah he was still. defending himself yeah i guess you can justify it in that way and you know okay now pris is down and we only have one more left it shows um roy outside he's kind of headed in yeah he's walking in mm -hmm. and deckard is kind of moving out of the room and i think he's moving around because i think he heard the elevators coming up mm -hmm. and Roy yeah, somebody's pops up. coming so deckard kind of hides behind a wall getting into position and roy walks into the apartment and you almost get a sense that he suspects somebody's there he's kind of just looking around in an odd way and then he walks over into the room and he sees pris laying there dead what made him come there back to sebastian's place yeah well pris was there Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He would be coming back. Yeah. He looks down at Pris's body, and he just takes her, and he kisses her. I guess he, like, kisses her goodbye. I guess they were a couple? That's what I gathered. I gathered that they were kind of a couple. That's what I was assuming. And he kind of looks genuinely upset that mm -hmm. she's dead. And he stands up, and he walks across the room, and Deckard is there in position. He, you think Roy don't know he's there. And Deckard fires the gun, and literally Roy, like, tucks and rolls right out of the way. <laughs> yeah, just like a lightning speed. Now, here's one thing. Roy says, not very sporting to fire an unarmed opponent. I thought you were supposed to be good. Aren't you the good man? And then he tells him, come on, Deckard. How does he know Deckard's name? He shouldn't know who Decker's name is. He never met him. He don't know anything about him. What's up with that? Yeah, I know. I think <laughs> that, that was a script a, thing. I think that was a glitch. A continuity issue. Yeah, because he never seen Deckard. He don't even know who he is. But I think that was a mistake that they made and didn't ever uh, fix it. But yeah, and Decker's just standing there up against a wall, and he's like walking with his gun drawn. And then all of a sudden, these two hands burst through the wall and grab Decker's arm and pulls him up against the wall. And Roy has Deckard's arm hanging out there, and he takes the gun out of his hand, yeah. and he says, well, won't you be proud of yourself, little man? <laughs> and then he takes Deckard's fingers, and he says, this is for Zura. And then you hear him break Deckard's finger. Mm -hmm. And Deckard screams, and he says, this one's for Pris. And then he breaks his second finger. Oh, wow. And Deckard just screams, of course, which I know I would. And then I like how he just puts the gun back in Deckard's hand, sticks it, and pull it back out of the wall. And he says, I'm right here, Deckard. You just got to shoot straight. And Deckard fires through a, a hole in the wall and misses again. Well, you think he misses, but then you see kind of caught mm -hmm. a little bit of the size of his uh, ear. And basically, Bay says, I'm going to give you a few seconds before I come after you. So, you know, I'm going to count, count down. And Deckard runs off. And then you see Roy go back over to Prissa's body. And he's just kind of touching her and everything. And he looks at the wound. And you could see he's... He has feelings, obviously, for her, and he also is realizing he's alone now. Yeah. Like, he's the... Yeah, he's uh, the last. My my question... I have another question about when you said, how did he know who Deckard was? Do you think, like, with all the hints that Deckard was a replicant, replicant that he knew him? Maybe. You can look at it that way. That's very probable. But how would a replicant end up a Blade Runner? In part two, they are. 
okay. Yeah. Well, I guess she thought she was human. Yeah. So I yeah. guess he thought he was. He could have thought he was a Blade Runner. I've had theories about the Deckard as yeah. a replicant thing, but yeah, that's an interesting perspective too. Batty is taking his fingers and he puts it through Pris's blood and wound, and he just kind of puts it on his face. I don't know if it's kind of just like something for her to be closer to him. I took it as I took it as war paint. That's what I was about to say. It because he starts making animal noises and he almost like starts hunting. Yeah, Deckard. I felt like he was almost doing like Native American war paint. Yeah, yeah. I could see. I could see it both ways. I could see it both ways. And then we see Deckard. He kind of has to stop for a minute and he walks over and he looks at his fingers and his fingers are just like literally (laughs) stiff. And he takes his other hand and he grabs one of his fingers and you hear it crack puts when it he moves it, place. puts it back in place, oh. and he just screams bloody murder. Which, These scenes hurt my hand. Yeah, I know. Every time I see that, that hurts. And then you just hear uh, Roy howling in the background. Deckard is running again. It's like Roy's become feral. Yeah, almost. I think he knows he doesn't have much longer. And he's just he's given up any kind of humanity. It, well, in a way, yeah, maybe yeah. so. I always had my theory. I, I, I've, I, well, not always, but I got my theory about this whole scene there toward the end, which other people probably have, but I'll share it here shortly. Deckard is like climbing up the side of a wall inside the building, and he loses his gun. It drops. And Roy says, I can see you. Like, I'm hunting you. I can see you. <laughs> like, are you scared yet? You know, that's basically what he's telling him. And Deckard climbs up to the top here and, like, pushes himself up into the roof. I guess the rain made the roof so soggy he could just push his hand through and get up in there. And he's, like, in this, like, like a bathroom or something like that. And he's, like, wrapping his fingers up. And then Batty, you see him, and next thing you know, he's sitting there and his hand is clawing. And what that means, I guess that means his body's starting to shut down. Mm-hmm. And he's even saying, not yet. And he's like biting his hand, trying to get it to move, and he can't do it. Then he looks down, and there's a nail in there. And he takes that nail and pushes it right through his hand, I guess, to get it circulate and get things moving again because it works. He mm-hmm. pumps it, it pumps through his hand, and his hand's starting to move again. And then he does this weird thing of like when Deckard's in the bathroom, kind of trying to tend to his fingers. He bursts through the wall with his head and he says, you better get it up or I'm going to have to kill you. And he comes back out and he bursts into the room and Deckard grabs a pipe and just slams him right in the head with it. And Roy's like, yeah, that's the spirit. Deckard's just like, he just can't believe this. And he just runs and he just bolts out and kicks open a window and goes out. And he literally almost falls off the side of this building and he catches himself on the side of it and everything. And he's trying to just move his way to the side of this building, just get away from this replicant. And he can't do it because Batty kicks out another side of the window and meets him out there. And he says, that hurt. <laughs> you know, he says, that's irrational of you and not very sportsmanlike. And Deckard starts trying to climb the side of the building. And Batty's like, where are you going? And Deckard just keeps crawling up. And then Batty's just looking at him. And he just kind of sits out and lets his head sit in the rain for a few seconds. Just kind of feeling the rain. And then he just, and Deckard is just pulling his way up. And then he finally gets to the top of the building. How the hell he was able to pull himself up with three fingers oh, off that one hand? That's amazing to me. Yeah. But he struggles and he gets up there. And so Roy just running around like yeah, and Roy, animal. Yeah, Roy's just running around. 
and Deckard is up there and he just kind of looks around to get his bearings I guess and then he starts moving around the building and then he sees oh well there's a door maybe I can get out right Mm -hmm. there and just as he's making it toward that door Batty kind of bursts out of it and Deckard stops in his tracks and then he runs a full sprint across the top of this building and tries to jump to the other side and doesn't quite make it. He's just dangling. Yeah, he catches himself on these, like I guess what you call kind of these girders or something hanging on the other side of the building. I don't know how he would pull himself up from this. And Batty's standing there, and he has a dove in his hand. And he just kind of looks, and then he turns around, and he runs, and he jumps, and he clears it. He makes it to the other side of the building. And he looks down at Deckard, and he... Just kind of looks at him kind of curiously. And this is one of the things that I was wanting to talk about here. He says, quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? And that's, he said, that's what it is to be a slave. So it makes me wonder, him chasing Deckard around, putting fear into him. He's wanting to show Deckard what it feels like to be to them. Be an, a be them, to live in that kind of fear. And Deckard is slipping one hand goes off of this girder. And then just as his second hand's about to slip, Deckard's about to fall. He spits at Roy. I don't know if you noticed that. No. But he literally he just up he just spits at oh, him like he's spitting on him. And just as he's about to fall, Roy grabs his wrist and catches him and pulls him up and then just drops him right there on the roof. And Batty just sits down and stares at him and looks at him for a minute. And I'm going to put this speech in here of what Roy tells Deckard that to me is the summation of this movie. And after you hear this, we will come back and we'll talk about it. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears.
And uh, like I said, after this speech, Batty dies. He just slumps over and he's gone. And the dove is released. And I've heard people say that this dove represents a soul. Once Batty dies. Peace. Yeah, and the soul ascends to heaven. That's what that dove represents. I've heard people say that. I can't disagree with it. And I just love how Deckard is just sitting there staring at him. And it's almost like he's woke up right there. Yeah. He's woke up. He understands it now. I think he's been waking up, but this was the yeah, final. this was the final thing. You know, I think it's even said in the voiceover. It made him appreciate life. And I think it's not only that it made um, the replicates appreciate life, but I think it made Decker start to appreciate life yeah. again. I don't know. To me, that speech is one of the best things I've ever seen written. It's so short, but to the point. It's not like this long, rambling speech, which it very could have easily been. It hits all the notes. And I just love how it's, it's very poetic if you really listen to it. And by all accounts, I think Rutger Hauer actually wrote a lot of that because he added that tears and rain thing while he was reading it himself. That wasn't in the original script. He added that himself. And I don't know. I just, I love it. I love that one so much. Did you think of the scene um, where he puts the nail through his hand that that was kind of Christ? Yep, I've heard that. That's funny you said that. I've heard that said too. I think that's kind of like how, I don't know how you would make the replicants kind of a representation of Christ. Yeah, but that's funny you said that. I've heard that. Or like kind of like how, you know, Jesus was kind of hunted in the end Mm -hmm. and... You know, they treated him horribly. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I've, I've heard that said before. So, yeah, I could see definitely. I mean, it's interesting that you came up with that as well, but I have heard that. Then we kind of cut to Deckard. Like I said, he's just sitting there staring at Batty, and then we see a spinner kind of pull up, and it's Gaff. And Gaff comes out and says one thing, that you've done a man's job, sir. He didn't say you did a good job. He said a man's job. So it makes me wonder if he's saying, so you are a man, like you're, maybe you're a replicant. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say that too. But then uh, Gaff says, are you through? He says, I'm finished. And he throws the gun at Deckard. So it makes you almost wonder if Gaff has been kind of following along with him the whole time because he knew exactly where to find Deckard's gun. Then Gaff tells uh, Deckard, you know, it's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? And I think Deckard almost takes out, like, oh, shit, he's going to go kill her. Or has killed or her. Or has killed her. Yeah. And then we cut back to a shot of Deckard back at his apartment. And he's, like, going in. He's got his gun drawn because I guess he don't know what he's going to walk in on there. And he, like, scans the room and he's walking around. And he looks down it's, uh, on the couch and he pulls his sheet over and there's Rachel. And she's, like, laying there still. And he just like looks down. He puts his head down there beside her. And I guess he hears that she's breathing or she's moving. Mm-hmm. And she w- wakes up. And you can just see the relief. Relief. I mean, that just shows. That's some of the first emotions that he's yeah. really shown in this movie. He asked her if she loves him. Yeah. She says she does. And then he says, does she trust him? Yeah. And she says she does. Yeah. And then you see them going off. They're leaving his apartment. Yeah, scanning there, make sure everything's all right. There's nobody waiting in the hallway. And then he mm-hmm. motions for her to come out. And as she walks out, she knocks something over on this um, 
floor. On the floor. Well, she knocks it off onto the floor. I think it was on setting up on something. Oh, okay. And Decker looks down, and it's an origami, like Gaff made some of these earlier when he was at the at Leon's apartment. A paper unicorn. And it's a unicorn, like it's made out of tin foil or paper or something. I couldn't really mm. tell. And Deckard looks at it, and then you hear voiceover in his head, and this guy saying, too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? And he crumples up the unicorn, and he walks out into the elevator, and then we cut to stock footage of The Shining, the beginning of The Shining. That's what this all is, is stock footage. Really? Yeah. And it's Deckard and Rachel in a car. And then you find out that... Tyrell told Deckard that Rachel was special. She has no expiration date. So he has no idea how long they have yeah, together. Yeah, He says, we don't know how long we have together, but then again, who does? Who does? And the end. The end. And we are <laughs> at credits, and that was the happy ending of Blade Runner. Okay. Um, I was just going to say, you got any trivia you want to throw out here? I'm just going to read some yeah, sure. IMDb stuff. Director... Ridley Scott and director of photography Jordan Cronenweth achieved the famous shining eyes effect by using a technique invented by Fritz Lang known as the shuffling process. Light is bounced into the actor's and actress's eyes off of a piece of a half-mirrored glass mounted at a 45-degree angle to the camera. Yeah, I thought I thought I remembered hearing. I heard that how they did something like that, but I didn't know the full details. On I it. I didn't catch on that their eyes were glowing because they had that retina machine. Yeah, I thought it was the laser, the red the, laser. The, yeah, but shining yeah, in yeah, their eyes. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, until the second time we watched it. Yeah, at around thirty-eight minutes after Pris first meets J.F. Sebastian. She runs away from him and's getting into the car, smashing the window with her elbow. You said that already. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or it wasn't, it was an accident. Yeah, because you can see her foot actually slip out from under when it happens. She still has a scar from the accident. Yeah. As can be seen in Dangerous Days, making Blade Runner, 2007. Ridley Scott regards this movie as probably his most personal and complete movie. I know, particularly after he got to do his final cut of it. According to Rucker Howard's biography, the final confrontation between Rick Deckard and Roy Batty was to have been a fight in an old gym using martial arts like Kung Fu or something similar. Howard disliked the idea, saying it was too Bruce Lee. He didn't know Kung Fu anyway and claims to have come up with the idea of Batty chasing Deckard. I think... uh, That would have been a little... Weird. Uh, and in all honesty, I don't think it would have been as memorable. I mean, to me, because it's, uh, it's just a big fight against two people and the hero wins at the end somehow. And I think the way they did it is better. Philip K. Dick personally approved of Rutger Howard describing him as the perfect baddie, cold, Aryan, flawless. Wow. Yeah. The final scene was shot hours before the producers were due to take creative control away from Ridley Scott. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was a very troubled production. Mm, I'll just do, like, two more. Mm-hmm. Golly, I look a lot to read. Oh, yeah. I'm too lazy. <laughs> this is Ridley Scott's favorite movie of his own. The Final Cut, released in 2007, is his favorite version of this movie. Uh, you just said that about The Shining. Yes. Which I've never seen The Shining, so I didn't catch oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Some computer displays within the videos were used on the Nostromo and the lifeboat 
in Alien 1979. Some sounds from the movie can be heard too. Yeah, I thought I remembered reading that somewhere, and I can't kind of see that. I, I never really placed it until it was mentioned, but then I thought, yeah, I do remember that. And this was also one of Rutger Howard's favorite movies that he did. I think he, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I wanted to say, I think he said this was his favorite character that he played. Really? Yeah. He's barely in this movie, hardly. Yeah, but he's a very interesting character, and he kind of looms large over the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. That's all I got. Okay. Mine isn't so much as trivia, it's just, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the different versions of this movie. I'm going to kind of just go over it very briefly. You know, like I said, we watched the theatrical cut here that's got all the voiceovers and stuff like that. Now, there's a director's cut that came out in the early 90s that was found, this all happened by accident. There was a work print version that leaked out to a kind of a, I want to say some kind of convention, like a sci-fi convention or something, I can't remember. It was a work print cut that didn't have the voiceover in it, and it didn't have the happy ending. And people were just like, what is this? We, we didn't know about this. What is this? And then all of a sudden, that started this whole thing of like getting Ridley Scott's original cut out. Ridley Scott didn't want the happy ending, and he didn't want the voiceover. And he wanted his unicorn back in. There was a scene with a unicorn in it. And what this unicorn scene was, it was supposed to be scene of Deckard having a dream of a unicorn running through the forest. So what this unicorn scene meant is when you seen the scene that we talked about at the end where Gaff left a unicorn origami there, that was supposed to imply he was there and I know what you've been dreaming about, Deckard, so I know you're a replicate. I want to know what Gaff is. Yeah. What What is his significance? I don't know. That was the funny thing about it. You don't really know. He always yeah. just kind of seemed to be Looming and on the, the weird eyes. Yeah. What was up with his eyes? Yeah. Silver eyes. What does silver eyes mean? I mean, like I said, I mean, you don't really know. I don't know that I like the idea of Deckard being a replicate. Some people do, some don't, and I don't like I, it. I'm going to talk on that. Okay. I just I was going to bring it up now because I don't think his character arc would mean anything if he was. Because to me, I felt like this movie was about a man who was not human anymore becoming human again you know because like i said the replicates seem to be more emotional and alive than the human beings are in this movie human beings are just going through the motions they seem very detached and i kind of felt like it would be a better character art for him he's a detached human who is alive again and i don't know the replicate thing i think it's interesting but i don't know that it works for him. i i wanted him to be you really yeah i wanted him to be because i i felt like that would have been how him and Rachel could be together and be the same. Yeah. You know, it's like when you, you spend your life hating certain kinds of people or having a perception of certain kinds of people and then something happens and you find out that you have that kind of blood in you. Yeah, I could see that. And you realize you hate your what is you. And you have to change because... If you're going to embrace every part of yourself, you have to start understanding that part of yourself too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I kind of felt like that would have been like that a spin at the end that they could have revealed that he was, you know, actually a replicant. It's like I said, I understand. Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I have no problem with people who feel that way. I guess it's just 
my perception of it is a little different, but I don't see any problem with yours either. I mm. think, you know, that's why I thought it's an interesting idea too, because I always thought it would be an interesting if he was a replicate, like how long would he have been one? Because uh, I thought about that and I thought, wouldn't it have been interesting if like right before that first shot, you see him sitting out there reading a paper, if somebody was out there with him and he was just flipped on. And nobody even paid attention to it. So his first moments of being alive was right then. Was right then. He has all these memories. Cause if you do notice too, like all the replicates have old photographs. He had old photographs around his piano too. Mm -hmm. So they give you hints that he might be one in this movie, but they never pulled a trigger on it and tell you one way or the other. Or what if the whole memories of being a Blade Runner was not true? There you go. Like and they use this implants. Yeah. This implants. Yeah. In you know, so, yeah, it's like I said, I mean, I think both ways are interesting to talk about. I kind of like that it was left a little more vague, that they don't sit there and tell you, okay, he is a replicate or, oh, he is human. You mm -hmm. can make that determination for yourself. But like I said, that director's cut came out with the unicorn and everything. Ridley was happy. And then they went back and then they found they wanted to do the definitive version of it. And then they did the final cut, which they fixed they didn't do it going and do a George Lucas, what he did on Star Wars. Mm -hmm. All they did in there is they went in and fixed little errors, like little continuity errors. Like if you look at the movie carefully, like when them uh, spinners go up in the air, them cars, mm -hmm. you'll see cables on them, like where they're being pulled up. In the final cut, they erase those so you don't see them. Talking about where you see that it's a different woman running through the glass. <laughs> yes. And you pointed that out. They fixed that in the final cut where they actually had the actress come back in. And what they did is they digitally put her head on to this woman. You could tell that was not her. Yeah. And they said there was no way they could have did it differently, uh -uh. unfortunately. So, but they went back. They just went back and fixed little things. They didn't go back like George Lucas did and totally, you know, put Jabba the Hutt back in there or anything. <laughs> I can recommend that. I think it's on Blu-ray. It's the final cut. It's like a four-disc edition. There's five different versions of Blade Runner on this. Wow. The work print, the theatrical cut, two different theatrical cuts, the director's cut and the final cut. And the documentary, Dangerous Days, is like three hours and something long. It is an amazing documentary and well worth picking up. Like I said, in lieu of trivia, I'm going to do this instead because... You could talk about various aspects of this movie for days, but what I'm going to do is give some book recommendations here for things if you want to read up more on this film. And I got about five of them here. One of them is, of course, the book that the film was adapted from, from Philip K. Dick. It's uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? That's the source novel that this came from. It's different than the movie, but there's similarities to it, too. And they did a comic book adaptation of it from Boom Studios. It's like a graphic novel. That's well worth picking up if you can find it. But I think the thing's going over for over $100 now. Mm -hmm. You know, you might be able to get it on Kindle or something. But it's well worth finding. And then third is what I call the textbook on the making of Blade Runner. It's called Future Noir, The Making of Blade Runner. It's by a writer, Paul Salmon. And this is an extensive book on the making of Blade Runner. Every detail of this movie is covered in this book and i highly recommend it even if you ain't a real big fan of blade runner it's worth reading if you're very curious on how a movie gets made so it's a great book four is a book called philosophy and blade runner by timothy shanahan and it's just basically like philosophical things that you know are probed into about the film itself different aspects of it another good one and the fifth book is a book called The Cyberpunk Nexus, Exploring the Universe of Blade Runner. 
which is by Lou Tambon. Another one, essays, various things like that. It's well worth reading. Well worth reading. It just explores the whole universe of Blade Runner. And these, I'm a little, lastly, I'm a little hesitant to, I don't know if I can recommend these exactly, but I think they're for curiosity's sake. They did some novels that were sequels to Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2, Edge of Human, Blade Runner 3, Replicate Night, and Blade Runner 4, Eye and Talon by K.W. Jeter. I can't say these are good books, but I think they're interesting books to read. I have my problems with them, but I think they're good in some ways too. And they're basically sequels to the film. It's like uh, Rachel is still alive, but she's slowly dying. And Deckard has to keep her frozen in like a containment thing. And he has to unthaw her so that they can spend some time together. And then he has to refreeze her again because I guess freezing slows down her process. (laughs) It's just things like that. It's like one of those people that keep their like dead wife in the bed with them. Yeah, yeah. Weird shit like like that. Yeah. And um, I mean, like I said, these books, I would say give them a try. You Mm -hmm. might like them. I like aspects of them, but I do. I don't think they're great. But uh, that's going to be basically my trivia because, like I said, particularly the Future Nor book. Pick that up. You will learn everything about Blade Runner you all know. Between that and the Dangerous Days documentary on the Blade Runner set. Like I said, that'll cover mine. And I guess we'll, uh, I'm going to pass it on to Sherry for her final thoughts on this because I am understandably curious about this. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because. The jury's still out on this one. Really? I know that it's very deep, but I can't connect with it yet. Yeah. I, I just, I'm not quite there. Well, let me just stab myself in the stomach. <laughs> no, now. it isn't. It isn't like <laughs> that's why I don't want to bash it because I know it's your favorite. Oh no, no, I, I no. don't dislike it. Well, no, I want your honest response whether you liked it or didn't like it. I don't. I didn't like it a lot, but I didn't dislike it a lot. If that makes sense. So you fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, somewhere. I don't know yet. I don't know because, you know, me, I love deepness. I love to get, dig in and figure things out. And I just, I felt like there was a lot missing for me. I don't know. I just didn't connect with the characters. I could not stand Deckard. I did not like him. I didn't like him in the last scene. Like, I didn't change my opinion of him the whole movie. Yeah. Like, I thought his character was just not developed enough to me. Maybe if they'd have more of the voiceover for me, I don't know. Like, I just couldn't connect with all the silence. Because the there just wasn't a lot of interaction with the characters sometimes to get, like, a... I'm having a hard time even describing how I feel about this movie. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. It's too. not dislike. It's not... I, I want to keep watching it till I figure it out. I think there is a lot of depth there, but it also is an 80s movie to me. Like, I felt like it, it was very 80s in a way. That's where interesting. It moved really quick, and it, it just, there was a lot of stuff not developed to me. And I just felt like I would have understood a little bit. And I'm, I'm an empath, and I was having a hard time really feeling sorry for the replicants. Really? Tying into their feelings. I just felt like there just wasn't enough time spent with them showing more human qualities. Pris, she was weird. 
Yeah, uh, she like was very I said, weird. She was one of them. Uh, like I said, she was very seemed like she was very kind of innocent and sweet at one point, and then she could literally turn on a dime, and she was completely different. Yeah, I could see that. Because I felt like Roy, he was on this quest for more life, but he was very unhuman to me. He just, I just don't even know how to describe the way I feel. Like, I just felt like he didn't, I just couldn't feel sorry for him. I just couldn't tap into any kind of empathy for him. I guess I looked at the empathy thing for him in that they were slaves. These slaves revolt. These were basically like slaves who revolted against their, I guess what you would say, their slave owners. I felt empathy for them in that regard because they were had these memories in their head or they were given photos for like memories and they just wanted to live. They didn't want to be slaves. They just wanted to to live and i guess because you never got to see any of that well i think originally they were going to shoot something where they was going to show how they escaped and show what it looked like but they just didn't have the money or the time I to mean, do it it's a little hard for me to tie into text on the screen yeah like, to give any kind of real like visual experience of looking at what they were going through like like scenes of them being beaten or you know and you see that and you're like oh man that sucks well i i guess I can see what you're saying there, but I know I was looking at it as something like, I just seen how cold the people were to them on Earth, where mm-hmm. they wanted to like kill them. So I can just imagine what it was like when they were up there working. Like mm-hmm. Pris was probably, God knows if she was probably raped many times, yeah. for example. Because she was basically like a prostitute up there. And the slaves were probably just treated like horribly because they don't look at them as human down on Earth. What makes you think they're going to treat them any better up there? They probably treat them worse up there. You just didn't get to see any of that. No, I mean, some of this you've got to kind of fill it in in your head, too. So I can kind of understand that. Oh, go ahead and continue. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Oh, what's the matter, little bubba? This time for me to eat. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, I'm just having a hard time kind of really deciding, like tying into whether I really understand this movie. Yeah. Like, I've heard you talk about it, and you're so, you know, ingrained. It's so ingrained in your memories. I guess you've you've got years on me Many. of watching this. I've literally only watched it twice. I've got, I got 40 years. <laughs> and I was getting very irritated. When was it? Friday or Saturday? It was yesterday. Because yeah, I was days. trying to tie into the deepness and try to understand that so I would have stuff to talk about, but I just couldn't get there. Well, you actually had stuff to talk about here. Yeah. So apparently some things were kind of clicking around. So, in I guess. Because you brought up stuff I didn't even think about. So <laughs> apparently something's ruminating in your head on this. I don't know. It's just I, I don't I don't say I dislike it. I don't say I really, really like it either. It wasn't what I expected. Well, let me ask you, what was you expecting? I was expecting something like when you described it in the introduction, I think I even said, I want to see this. Yeah. I told you that because you cried. You got upset. So to me, I thought it was going to be this really heart-wrenching story. And I just, I couldn't tap into that. I couldn't feel that in this movie. Hmm. I think it, the story kind of lends to that, that, you know, they wanted more life. They wanted to live longer. And you could see that he was destroyed when he found out that they couldn't. Mm Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't know. There was just something off 
emotionally in this movie. Like, I just couldn't, mm. for me, tap into that, if that makes sense. No, no, completely, <laughs> completely. But I, did, I didn't like Deckard. I did like Rachel. I, I think she's the only one I, I kind of, I kind of felt like I understood her a little bit better. Yeah. Thinking she had memories that didn't really exist. As, as I'm 43 years old, I'm finding out about my childhood. Yeah. That memories that I thought were always there, they're not what I thought they were. Well, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And you, you realize that everything's different than you thought. Or perspectives are different. Yeah. I think I kind of saw her as a character that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But him, I did not like. I think the most human part of him was how he tried to connect with her. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, I think he starts out as kind of almost not human in a way, but his humanity starts to kind of seep out again mm-hmm. once he was with her like i said i think it was the culmination between batty dying in front of him because batty could have just let him drop he could have just let him drop but he didn't do it and i think that showed him compassion it showed him compassion and it showed him replicants are not what he thinks that they are more human than he thinks more human than they deserve like tyrell said they're more human than they deserve life that's another jesus thing Mm -hmm. You know, he put the nail in his hand. I'm showing you mercy. I'm giving you forgiveness for right. how you've treated me. That's kind of a Jesus and thing, And for all I think. those that you killed, you've killed mm-hmm. everybody I love. I'm giving you... I'm giving yeah, you a chance to chance live. to live. So you yeah. live your life. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about how I feel about it. I'm just kind of like... You I, don't I just know. don't know. Well, that's, a very, that's the first review I think we've done of yours that you just are kind of like it split right down the middle yeah. on this in some ways. I really thought I was really going to love it. Like, I guess because I thought this is David's favorite movie. I'm going to love it, too. It just was not the heart-wrenching thing I thought it was going to be. I didn't expect because everybody you can talk to, everybody's got that one film or one album or one book that they read that this book or movie, or music speaks to me. This one is mine, but I don't expect everybody to feel that way. I was just kind of curious. I mean, I was very nervous to get to this one, because if you would have said you flat out hated this movie, I would have probably fell over dead on the floor. I don't hate it. I think think it's a beautiful movie, and I think I love... I love how it's so creative. It's this futuristic, but yet, like, this classic 30s kind Mm -hmm. of feel. But yet, when you go down in the street... It's like just normal life. Yes. You know, businesses and just people on the, you know, the rat race life. and mm. But then you have these little qualities like their clothes and the style, the like the voiceover, the music, like the scene where he's playing the piano and it's playing the jazz. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. Because I love the 20s. I love the 30s. You know, our wedding was a, 30, yep. a 20s very wedding. Very true. Very true. You know, the 30s still had a lot of that qualities that the 20s did. This was more like the 30s. Even the cars kind of looked like old classic cars, but yet they flew and they were futuristic cars. It was just weird how they mixed that and it worked. It's a melding of future and old. And and that it works. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the music was synthesizer kind of. Yeah, the Vangelis score. The yeah. the song that plays when it goes off. Yeah. That's the main I guess. Yeah, I like end, I love that. Yeah, in title. Yeah. But I mean I guess that's 
Well, I'm going to say this about your review. I don't fault it, but I will say this. This is the most, one of the more detailed reviews you've gave of a movie that you don't <laughs> really? feel like. And that's pretty interesting. I guess me. it's because I'm trying to grasp, grasp at anything to try to, I don't want to disappoint you because I know it's your favorite no, movie. No, no. I but... mean, I've talked to people over the years who flat out don't like this movie. But then again, I remember I, there was a friend of mine, his sister, she had never seen it. And she mm. kind of heard it as my favorite movie. And she was like, well, I want to watch it. And I let her watch the director's cut. And she came back and she really liked it. But she said she looked at it as like it's allegory of slavery. Because she looked at it like, she said she found it interesting that all the slaves were white. like, And one of them was almost Aryan white. Yeah. like, uh, mm-hmm. And she said she looked at that aspect. And she said it was almost like Nazi Germany. And wait, Deckard was like an SS officer. And everything, and like the replicates were almost like Jewish people that mm-hmm. were being hunted. And I was like, "Wow, I never thought of that." Yeah, <laughs> you know. So some people people see different things in it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what this movie is. You can see a lot of different things. I think it's one of those movies you just have to see a lot to type into that kind of stuff. And I didn't the first time I seen it. Yeah, of course, I was ten years old at the time, and it took me years of viewings to catch on to these little things. I think at times it was a visual overload. It, is. it was just a lot going on and. It's an overwhelming movie, that's for sure. It's yeah. very overwhelming. But uh, you got anything else you got to say know. about it? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, even though we didn't technically see it in the film, out of one to ten unicorns, ten being the best, one being the worst, where does this one kind of fall for you? Seven. Seven? Well, that's still a solid rating. Mm-hmm. That's better than I thought you would get I it. I don't dislike it. Yeah, I mean, that's better than I, I thought you would. I would be honest, the, most, uh, the thing I hate about it worse is him. Really? I don't like him yeah. in this movie. I mean, to me, he's not a terribly likable person up until as the film kind of goes on. But really, it's right there at the end of it. I think that's what I always talked about. It was like his journey of becoming something that was so lacked empathy to someone who does. And it's like they have more feelings than he does. And he's hunting them like they're not human. Uh Uh-huh. And but he's less human, human than, than they, they are. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's the whole yeah. point. That's one of the big points. But yeah, so seven for you. I can't disagree with that. That's better than I thought you would give it. I'll give, I can say that. <laughs> but I'm going to try to keep mine down to, so I'm not a rambling person on this, but to say that anybody knows me, this is my favorite movie. I love all the aspects about it from the visual production design, which is still to me hasn't been topped and has been ripped off so many times. It's not even funny. I mean, you can almost even look at films from music videos and other films. If you look at the film, I know was talking about the Data Crow, for example. If Fifth you Element. At, yeah, Fifth Element. Well, yeah, kind of sort of mm-hmm. there too. They kind of take this look and use it for themselves. So it's a very influential film in that regard. I don't know. There's just so much I could talk about. I could write a term paper on this movie, but I've tried to keep it down to at least a page here. So oh, I'm gonna, I would fail if I was writing something now. Yeah. Oh, I can understand. <laughs> just, I'm, not, I'm not seasoned to it yet, I guess. Oh, it's okay. I mean, and that's totally fine. I mean, it's like I said, it didn't do that for me right away either. But I don't know. I guess I just always looked at this film and as time has went on, it's really, it gives you a lot of existential thoughts. And, it, and questions about things like about what is humanity and you know how people the dehumanization of people and you know their morality 
what's right, what's wrong, and oh, of Lord. course about life and death. That's been going on since the beginning of yeah, time. Yeah, and it just makes me think about those kinds of things mm-hmm. when I watch this movie. And I just always kind of looked at this film, and over the years, and it almost kind of scares me how we're moving in the direction of this movie. You look at this movie, it's raining all the time. You know, the population's going to another planet because basically it looks like we've destroyed the atmosphere with pollution. Wildlife is pretty much gone because all most of the animals, if not all of them, are artificial. And we're headed in that direction now. They was talking about something recently where there was a species of butterfly that was uh, might be going extinct. Uh, bing, bees are... Yeah, and bees, for example. And the overpopulation. You know, if you look at the city streets in this movie, everybody is just crowded around everywhere. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like they, they don't have no place to live. It was like, so what are they going to do? They're just roaming the streets. You know, and it's just like I said, when you look at this movie, we're headed in this direction. They're already talking about they can make clones of animals who says that they ain't going, they're talking about cloning dinosaur things now. Oh, and Lord, I, they ain't learned anything from Jurassic Park. That's what I was going to say. Jurassic Park didn't teach anybody a lesson either. And it's just like I said, it just makes me feel like we're headed in the directions of this movie. And it's kind of frightening when I think about it, you know, and just the lack of people with no empathy for anybody else. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's pulled me more and more to this movie, even as the years have went on, is because I'm seeing a lot of this starting to slowly come to pass. And it's it's kind of frightening to me when I think about it, because I've just always found it interesting as I've watched this over the years on how I have more empathy for the replicants than I do to people. I don't agree with everything that the replicants are doing, like when they're, they seem like they were killing some innocent people. But then again, you almost look at the replicants. They were innocent too. So they're just fighting in a... This is like a war for them to stay alive. But what they were doing was to stay alive. Yeah. They're not hunting people. Even Batty seems a little upset when uh, he's talking to Tyrell. He says, I've done questionable things. It's like he feels bad about what he's done. But you never really see some of these people like Bryant... And all them who feel bad for these replicants being killed. He's just, yeah, yeah, just no skin job, man, mm-hmm. no big deal. And they're supposed to be the human. Yeah, and like I said, the replicate feels bad. I've done questionable things. I feel terrible. But the humans, yeah, whatever. I don't know. It's just a film is like we've talked about the amazing look of the movie, the visuals. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I can never go into how much I love how to look at this film. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the Asian influence that's in it and just the fine detail on things like where he, Deckard is walking in and out of his rooms and his apartment and a light will come on when he walks into a room like a motion detector light and then he walks out and the light will go off. Mm-hmm. Things like that. And of course, we caught, talked about the Vangelis score, which I think is just a beautiful score. I actually have that on my player and I'll listen to some of that almost every day you know when i'm at work i don't know so i said i want to try to keep this down as brief as possible but needless say i do love this movie it's my favorite movie i just look at it as a, it's just a beautiful piece of art to look at and the story has so many layers and so many things in it it will take you multiple viewings to dig through all of it i get that 
because it, uh, it did that for me. I've watched it. I didn't understand a lot of it the first time I watched it. I had the basic idea down of what was going on, particularly when I heard that Tears and Rain speech. I really, I, I started crying in the theater first time mm-hmm. I seen that or heard that. I felt pressure because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, I was trying to take it in, but I think it's one of those things that has to take time. It to, does. To do, and I was trying to get it into viewings, and I was getting frustrated. And I had years of watching this on videotape and DVD and cable TV and everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, needless to say, I was about forty years ahead of you. <laughs> um, this movie for me hasn't been topped yet. Oh wow! And sadly, I don't know that it will, because. People don't try to create futures like this anymore. They try to copy Blade Runner. They don't do movies that delve into these kinds of things that much anymore and really get deep like this movie did. There's a movie I I watched, I think it was called Her. It was, I think it was Joaquin Phoenix in it. And that kind of reminded me of Blade Runner in some ways, just about like human and the lack of connectivity that people have and that is else kind of in this movie but mm-hmm. little things like that i don't know it's like i said i could get long-winded on this but i'm gonna kind of sum up here and say that you know this is my favorite movie ever and i'll say i don't blame anybody who doesn't like it not everybody's gonna be to everybody's taste and i understand that but it's my favorite movie and it's just a timeless movie to me and i think there's just stuff in this movie that you can dig into and talk about and have long lengthy conversations about and I just truly love the movie needless to say my review on the unicorn scale is going to be a 10 on this movie I mean don't get me wrong I feel like the movie does have its flaws here and there every movie does but I just think the movie is a complete package to me and what it offers is a solid 10 for the people out there that haven't watched it I say give it a go it might not be to your taste, but I would say give it a go. You'll probably have to give it more than one go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're willing to watch the movie and just kind of take it in at first, and I ain't saying you got to watch it every day, but maybe every once in a while, pop the movie in and just kind of look at it. You might get more and more out of it over multiple viewings. That is my uh, review of uh, Blade Runner. I am very... I'm almost happy in a way to have this done because I was very frightened to do this movie. So it is done now. Do you want to run through a top uh, five of our films of 82? Or top three, I mean. Well, we can uh, we can throw out a top three here of films that came out in 82. Now, you wouldn't say these would be favorite films, just some films that you can just recommend. Films? Just yeah. films that you can recommend. I just pulled up a list, and these are ones that I still watch yeah. and still love. Yeah, so uh, do you want to do it like we normally do it? Pass uh, one yeah. out mm-hmm. back to the... Yeah, we can do it like that. So uh, let's hear your number three here. Beastmaster. Beastmaster Dar of the Emirates. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I just watched that movie again here recently. We've watched I watched this a lot. Yes. And I loved it. That's a, it's a movie I'd actually like to do on the podcast at some point. Yeah. I really like that movie. I would enjoy that. Yeah. Those things running up through the hallway... Scare the shit out of me. It did me too when I was a little kid. Disguise of the glowing eyes. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, those. That I was frightening. And when the ferret died. Yeah, yeah. Kodo and Poto. Poto, I think. Yeah. Cried. Yeah, I know. I I love Beastmaster. I do too. I remember going to theater to see Beastmaster. I loved it. It was Mm -hmm. so good. Gets a lot of shit from some people, but I really I like care. it. I don't care. I don't care. I like it. <laughs> Keep your shit to yourself. Exa- I don't care. Exactly. I guess I'm going to go with um, 
I'm going to go with a couple little different movies here. third one is called The Fan. It's by Eckhart Schmidt. And this is a kind of a German movie that I didn't actually see up until probably about five years ago. But it came out in 82. It's about this girl who is obsessed with this singer for this group. And she goes to these weird lengths to get to him. And when she finally does... To say things go bad is an understatement, it, mm. but I'm not going to spoil the ending of this movie or how this film wraps up, but it's pretty rough. But that's the one I'm going to recommend for my third one. It's out on Blu-ray right now. I think you can pick it up from Blu-ray. I'd say if you can find this movie, definitely pick it up. But my number three is The Fan from 1982. And what's your number two? Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal. Oh, God, yeah. I love any of the Jim Hansen kind of yeah. um, puppet movies from back then like dark crystal labyrinth it was labyrinth was out i think i was out around that time or a little later than that mm-hmm. yeah yeah those were so good yeah those are so good they don't you can't make them anymore i don't know that people would like them they just because didn't they even do that dark crystal series for netflix that got canceled yeah, after one season it didn't yeah i guess it just didn't click with people mm-hmm. which is a shame because i love that kind of stuff i think it's I great i do too but yeah, I can't blame. Yeah, like I said Dark Crystal is an excellent movie. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, my number two is a movie with a Steve Martin. It's called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Now this is a movie where, in a nutshell, it's like we was talking about. It kind of fits in with the Blade Runner thing. This mm-hmm. is a 1930s film noir movie, shot in black and white. But what they did is they have Steve Martin cut into scenes with people like Humphrey Bogart. They oh. took old movies. And cut him in and made a story from it. Because that's like cool. got Humphrey Bogart, John Crawford, and all them. And it's mm-hmm. like a film noir kind oh. of thing. And it's a very creative movie and a very cool movie. And like I said, if you can find it, I'd say give it a look. Because it's a very interesting movie that I don't think gets talked about enough. And that's why I kind of wanted to throw that in there. So that's my number two. Dead men don't wear plaid. <laughs> so what is your number one? Creep show. Creep show. Oh, now, that's one I know I definitely won't do on the podcast oh, at some yes. point. Yeah. Yes. I could go on and on about that movie. But I love the um, comic book kind of yep. quality. Yep. It's like a comic book on film yeah. is really what it is. And I like that it's not too graphic. It just kind of danced to that not-so-horror yeah. or gra- graphic horror. Well, before but, we jump off of this one, what's your favorite story in that movie? The one with Ted Danson. Oh, the something to tied you yeah, over. Yeah, something to tied you over. Yeah, yeah, that one's good. <laughs> I have to go with the one with the, the crate, the one with the giant uh, <gasps> uh, Muppet thing in, in, <laughs> the box, in the box. Yeah, I, I love that one. But <laughs> like, I enjoy all of them, but that one's Old man wanting to kill his wife. <laughs> yeah, his old shrew of a wife, yeah. <laughs> I killed her too. Yeah, she is very She mouthy. was a Karen. Yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> but, so that's your uh, number uh, yeah. two, or mm-hmm. number one, I mean. Okay. My number one is going to be uh, Conan the Barbarian. I'm a big fan of the character Conan from the... I first started reading them in comic books and then the novels and everything. And this movie isn't exactly like the books or the comic books, but it's very similar in tone. But this is one... Anybody who hasn't seen it, watch it. Because it is one of the pinnacles of the sword and sorcery genre to me. Yeah, because, I mean, there were so many, like, Bretonnia. Even Beastmaster kind of ties in. Well, Beastmaster came out around the time, or after this came out, I believe. Or sometime around the time. Like, um, Deathstalker. Deathstalker. (laughs) 
Deathstalker is another one. It was like after Conan came out, about for the next three years, you had Very a bunch popular. of those kinds of films. Sword and Sorcerer is another yeah. one. Yeah, like you said, Deathstalker. There was Ator, the Fighting Eagle, all <laughs> kinds of these things. And it's like I said, this is the kind of movie that kind of started the ball rolling on yeah. that in a lot of ways. But like I said, it, it's one that, like I said, Schwarzenegger's really kind of his first big starring role in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but like I said, that would be my number one there, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, well worth revisiting. Or if you haven't seen it, watch it, then have a look. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. Yeah. But okay, well, that will wrap up the top three of our recommendations. And I guess we're going to get ready to shut things down here. I want to thank everyone again for listening. Uh, we, I, I'm enjoying the numbers that, you know, she, uh, Sherry's been kind of sharing with me, the numbers that we're getting. And mm-hmm. it's like a solid listens yeah. from all over the world. And I really do appreciate it. I don't know who you are, but I appreciate it. <laughs> and, um, and I guess if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can contact us at the movie clinic at gmail.com and that's T H A, not T H E. The main website is themovieclinic.com. Yes, or you can uh, leave us a message on the Facebook page at mm-hmm. the movie clinic. Come over and like the page. I post articles, uh, entertainment articles, and various things on there. So come on over and have a look, and you can kind of keep up to date on when the new episodes drop. And I guess uh, what we're going to do here, I'm going to pass it over to Sherry, and she's going to share for you what we're going to do on our Christmas uh, film this year. Yeah, we're rounding out 2022. I didn't want to do a traditional Christmas movie. I actually wanted to go so opposite of that. Oh, okay. So I was going to do a horror. Horror, yes. Horror Christmas. Horror. Horror. Christmas. Horror Christmas. (laughs) Horror Christmas movie. So I chose, which I've only seen once, but I really liked. I I watched on Shutter one night. Oh, wow. Uh, 1974, Black Christmas. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's a mm. good one. Very early slasher movie. Uh, yeah. About four years before Halloween, I think, came out. So it's kind of definitely... Yeah. That, that one's going to be a fun one to do. I have to admit, I haven't watched it on purpose in a long time because I knew we was going to probably do it on here. So I've kind of been holding off mm-hmm. on watching it again. So, yeah, I'm going to enjoy uh, jumping back into that one again because I, I really do like that movie a lot. But like I said, that will be our Christmas offering this year. Maybe not something light and fuzzy. You know, it's not <laughs> going to be something like happy life affirming, but it's a good movie just the same. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess uh, until we uh, see you at Christmas time, I am David. I'm Sherry. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.